This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on this side. Top of the morning to you. It's Thursday. It's Thursday morning, and we're back. We're at it. We're kicking it. <laughs> I just heard Michael Huckabee taking on Donald Trump. I came in like a he actually wasn't taking him on. He was just saying, Donald, you know, made a little mistake. Donald made a huge mistake. Some say he may have stepped in it. Yeah, I think he did step in it. But he, the, here's the deal, the Donster. This is the moment that Donald's ego and organization met real-world media politicking. Because he didn't seem prepared for that question. It was kind of a weird question. It was weird. Because it, it was all based on what if. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except he he should have had a thought, right? But you plan. You wouldn't. He he has talked about ending Roe versus Wade, right? Right. This isn't a that that concept itself. He should have some sort of idea as to how he wants that to look and what that's going to what what the the country possibly would look like after that decision, right? So yeah, he should have an answer. That's well, better than what he gave. And but he was getting pushed pretty hard. <laughs> yes, he was. He got cornered. He got cornered. And it wasn't even his idea to punish women. That wasn't his idea. That actually came from... Chris Matthews. Chris Matthews said, so should you punish him? Should you punish him? Like, he kept asking Well, him. he said, if you make it illegal, then there's a punishment that needs right. to be... This is the law. So should so, you punish him? And yeah. would you punish him? But So that may not have ever been his word, but now his, the idea is that he punishes women for having an abortion. But... I think what it just shows is that he he's gotten this far because he's magical, he's mystical, he's elusive, he can dodge. He tried. In he's that a marketer, question. exactly. Because he, he, he asked Chris Matthews it. about his faith. Right. He goes, "Are you Catholic? Do you do you, oh. do you believe what the Catholic Church says about abortion? Do yeah. you?" And and he kept he he goes, "I believe what my church teaches, but yeah. this is about the That's law. Moral. This is legal." And then he, it was kind of interesting yeah. to watch both of them verbally sort of spar uh-huh. and kind of maneuver, and then. Chris Matthews boxed Trump back right. into the corner to get an right. answer. Now, this is, though, where if Trump – this is where he, he needs to become an actual politician and executive because every other politician would have had a better answer than that. Every other one on earth simply because they've probably sat in a room with policy you know, associates or whatever. I don't know what you call them. They would advocates. have a conversation to fall back on. Uh-huh. To have an answer. And he would have had his talking points for that issue. And he might say, I can't speculate. The law of the land is this. But this is what I would propose to do and then let the courts figure it out or whatever. He'd, yeah. he'd have an answer. But he didn't. And I think this is a, a turning point for Donald. Because in three, Like a learning moment? Well, or? well, it should be. Because in what? Three or four hours, he put out three different positions yes. on abortion and this tells us, Don, you can't always think of everything on your feet. No. You need you need your people now. It's time to get your there people. There needs to be talking points, even yeah. though every, everyone hates talking points, right. apparently. Well, and 
a lot of things are happening to him. The other day when he gave that speech to the Jewish um, or the Israeli Association PAC, whatever they call yeah. it, APAC. He read it off a teleprompter. Uh-huh. He had prepared comments. Well, which is funny because I'm pretty sure he didn't write it. No. So he hired a speechwriter and then he read it off a prompter. So just humble yourself and say, this is what you do when you're president now. Now you start putting people around you that don't beat up journalists. Mm-hmm. You formulate a really strong team that have some insight. And you don't have to take every interview. No. Because that's the other thing. He was probably tired, honestly. <laughs> can you imagine how many interviews he does a day? And then he thinks he can wing it. You can't wing it, especially with Chris Matthews. He's a flipping pit bull. Yes. Just gnawing on your leg. Not on the leg that he got the tingle on. Yeah. Do you remember? I do. Anyway, Donald. I mean, I think, holy cow. I, I does just show you, he, you can't just schmooze your way out of stuff. Can't. And that's how he, uh, probably it's how he does most of his business dealings. That's right. Is he can just go in there and, yeah. and kind of talk around things. Well, didn't even Chris Matthews say, I'm not, no, you're, you're not getting out of this one. You're not getting out of it. You're yeah. going to answer this one. You're going to answer this one. In fact, let's let's listen to uh, this is uh, Trump's comment about abortion. Just a minute. Oh, just a minute. Computers are resetting. But this crazy one thing turned everything upside down. It did for it, the GOP. It sort of flipped. It, it gave everyone an opportunity yeah. to step out and say something. <laughs> to step out and have some comment against trump to 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 hit back on the republican party as a whole yeah as several did so it's it's interesting how instantly everyone jumps on this type of thing so go ahead and play clip one yes, do you believe yes. in punishment for abortion yes or no as a principle uh, the answer is that there has to be some form of punishment for the woman yeah there has to be some form 10 cents 10 years i don't what? know that i don't know well, why I not? Know. I don't know. You take positions and everything else. I frankly, I do take positions and everything else. It's a very complicated position. Very honest. I do. You yeah. could see he was on the ropes. Yeah. And, and that was after about a minute and a half, two minutes of this whole other uh, question about a punishment. And then Trump tried to turn it back on Chris Matthews on yeah. his Catholic view on right, things. Right. Chris Matthews immediately put it back on Trump. And then Trump decided, well, I, I can't do anything else here. He's not going to budge. So he had to answer. Mm-hmm. And the answer was the wrong answer yeah. because well, yeah. e- e- uh, even like pro-life groups came out and said, we have never had a position yeah. that the woman should be punished. They, the pro-life groups believe that the people who perform the abortion should be punished. Well, cause, And the big deal is when, when you go to convention, you then decide what your platform is. So is your candidate now advocating punishing women for abortion? Well, even then, the the last Republican convention, Mitt Romney's platform didn't match the Republican platform. Yeah, right. They, yeah. The Republican platform was more extreme, and Romney was eh, this well, is this is where I, this is what I'm running on, you know. Yeah. So it was kind of a discussion then on you know, did your candidate need to reflect the party's platform, and is that really the situation? And and with Trump, I don't know what that's going to be. Well, and is he, he going to uh, be in agreement with the party on issues right. that they find most important? But I think most importantly, it just shows the weakness of the candidates, maybe his thinking, but I wouldn't say his thinking because he's dodged every other bullet. Or on the other hand, do you have a prepared answer for every single right. concept out there? Well, or the, did they or, find the one that he wasn't – well, that may be the one he doesn't well, have an answer to. No, they pressed on the Achilles heel of Donald Trump, which was humbly saying, you know what? I do not know what we will do there. 
I know my statement and my policy is this. I'm pro-life. Mm. Period. Well, now. So, yeah, th- this year <laughs> I'm pro-life. But, see, that's his Achilles. His Achilles is he's got enough hubris to believe he can just answer this. And, and I mean, the mere fact that he didn't actually say that that was a mistake, what he said. He just post, he just presented a second position. Mm-hmm. And didn't admit that was a mistake. He then presented a third position, which now pretty much so far of the two has punished the physicians who would do an abortion and the women when instead it might be better to say, I don't do hypotheticals. That would probably be the best place to to stand. That's a a decision for courts to make. Mm -hmm. I don't deal in hypotheticals. I deal with reality. Here's where I am. This is where we are. Should they be punished? Uh, That's up to God. Yeah. Or are they already being punished enough by having the abortion? Hmm. That would have been the kind of a Christian-y answer. I don't know if christian is a word. But I yeah. know. It's interesting. <laughs> I, I, I was hoping this wouldn't turn into something bigger, but then he kept talking. So. I know. I know. That's the so – like, oh. <laughs> So here's just my political advice. Admit – get some humility in there. Don't take as many interviews – which is what Hillary Clinton wouldn't go near the press. No. Are you kidding? She would never have been in this interview. Well, it was a town hall. What? Oh, it was? Yeah, MSNBC oh, was recorded MSNBC. a right. town hall. So it, was, it wasn't It was just a, he's yeah. on the phone with somebody. He, it was a, a sit down. Other, other candidates were there. Okay, yeah. Ted Cruz was actually in the wings waiting to come on in a few <laughs> minutes. So everyone, just laughing it was the... all set and planned. Yeah. So, I mean, but you're right. He does do quite a few interviews every Sunday it's like he's on it's every all. show because he just calls in from right. his office which again which, which used to be fine and it got him where he is except now you kind of need to quit shotgunning it and yep. now start rifling it maybe pull back plan these yeah. out better not yeah. to use a gun metaphor right because <laughs> that's going to upset a lot of people uh, anyway interesting stuff Trump and uh, this is funny um, we've got to do uh, Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel oh, yeah. asked uh, Ted Cruz a really, really interesting question that put him between a rock and a hard place. Donald Trump, is he the person you dislike most of anyone in America? Oh, no. Who look, do you like look, better, Obama or Trump? Look, look, look. <laughs> I dislike Obama's policies more. I see. Uh, but but Donald uh, <laughs> Donald is a unique individual. <laughs> I, I, I will say I was watching the early part of the show, and, and, and if I were in my car and getting ready to reverse and saw Donald in the backup camera, <laughs> I'm not confident which pedal I put. There you go. There you go. <laughs> see, that was a very difficult question. It was. Who do you dislike yeah. the most? And then the hypothetical about backing up. There you go. See, so it was this very similar situation. It could have gone either way. And he turned it into a good joke. Yeah. Mm. I'm undecided at I, the moment. <laughs> I'm undecided. But you can be undecided on who you'd back over in your car, but right. not on abortion. You need to be let's, firm on that one. Let's hear what Kasich would say about uh, Trump's comment. Of course, women shouldn't be punished. I don't look. I, you know, I think probably Donald Trump will figure out a way to say that he didn't say it or he was misquoted or whatever. But I, I don't think so. I don't think that's an appropriate response, and uh, it's a difficult enough situation and to try to punish somebody. Mm-hmm. There you go. Calm. 
granted, he hey, he saw the Trump comments, and then as he was backstage also at the MSNBC event, he had a chance to think about how he would answer that better. Yeah. It just so yeah. It just again doesn't seem like a good idea to alienate women when they are right. the majority of the vote. Just like just good rule of thumb. Another piece of advice. <laughs> what do I know? What do I know? Hey, uh, let's get to the headlines, Terry. What else is going on around the world we need to be paying attention to? Thanks, Matt. The next nominating contest in this wonderful 2016 presidential election is in Wisconsin on Tuesday. Yes. A new poll shows Texas Senator Ted Cruz leading the Republican field by double digits in Wisconsin, a crucial state that could begin to erode Donald Trump's path to clinching the nomination. Cruz got 40% support in the poll released by Marquette University Law School. Trump earned 30%. John Kasich with 21%. On the Democratic side, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton are within the margin of error with 49% support for Sanders, 45 for Clinton. The Wisconsin primary slated for April 5th marks the next major political mm. contest. So we have that to look forward to. Yeah. On Monday, Hillary Clinton's campaign announced their candidate would only debate Democratic rival Bernie Sanders again if he would go back to the less negative tone he said he was going to set early on, the campaign said. Now they backtrack. The former Secretary of State is now, quote, perfectly willing to spar with Sanders oh. again. Clinton's press secretary, Brian Fallon, said during an interview with Bloomberg Television uh, on Tuesday... He said, if they can find a mutual, mutually agreeable date in the next couple of weeks before New York, I think that could happen. Wow. So I don't know what the change of uh, well, I heart there is. The change may have been that they caught her on video in 08 saying any candidate, any time should be willing to debate. There you go. Hmm. But that hasn't stopped her before. (laughs) I saw a nine-minute video the other day just showcasing all the switchbacks and back and forth she's done on different issues. President Obama is hosting a two-day nuclear security summit in Washington Thursday or this morning to gather with leaders of Japan and South Korea to discuss their shared concern over North Korea's nuclear program. Last Thursday, Obama met with – later today, he will meet with the president of China for one-on-one talks about North Korea and the rising tensions in the South China Sea. U.S. also plans to bring up China's human rights record. Obama will also huddle Thursday. So he's already he's going to meet with Japan and South Korea in the morning. China probably in the afternoon, more of a lunch type thing. And then in the after, later in the afternoon, the president of France will meet with the president. And uh, they were also discuss wow. the Islamic State, other extremists, and the uh, other threats. So he'll get a, a lot of... Of meetings today. See, that's why people go to these these uh, these meetings. Like I was going to call it a convention. Could be, and they get those cool hats and yeah. bag, grab yeah, yeah, bags, yeah, and, and a little T-shirt. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is this is more of a story for you, Matt. What I found here this morning: a 72-year-old passenger on a United Hold Airlines on. flight. Why? Why me? Just 72? go. Just go with okay. the story. Just okay. go with the story. 72-year-old passenger, United Airlines flight from Honolulu to Tokyo last week, became outraged when he was asked to stop doing yoga in the back of the airplane <laughs> and return to his seat. The FBI says the pilot had to turn the plane around when the man started to yell at flight attendants who asked him to go back to his seat during the meal service. When his wife made the same request, he shoved her irate because, quote, he felt that she was siding with the flight crew. Mm. The criminal assault from a criminal complaint. U.S. District Attorney Darren uh, Chang says that the man also tried to headbutt and bite Marines who were passengers on the plane Ooh. that tried to get him back in his seat. Later on, through, through his lawyer, the man said that uh, he hadn't slept in 11 days and was a little on edge. Yeah, that'll do it. Um, so let me get this straight. <laughs> yes. The guy was trying to do yoga. Yoga in the back of the airplane. And somebody upset the yoga. The and then, flight attendant said, return to your seat. And then it ticked him off. He got mad. And then he went berserk. Yes, he did. 
because he hasn't slept for 11. And then he accused his wife of siding with the flight crew. Yeah. And, and then Marines yeah. came back. And then it was over. And then he went nuts, but they got him back to his seat, apparently. Wow. They bent him in several different positions. Because he's very pliable. Exactly. <laughs> he's in the lotus He's position. a Gumby man. He can Why do couldn't that. he have just done, been in the, like, the lotus position next to his wife? Not and... enough leg room. They've, they've, they've squished the leg room in the well, seat, I know, but so when you can't... He doesn't, in yoga, don't you? Oh, he's doing all the yoga positions? Is right. that what he was doing? Yeah. So it's a little, a little tough. Oh, I thought he was just meditating. No. Okay, rule. Don't mess with a man doing yoga, even if it's during the in-flight meal. Just don't mess with it. Hey, we got an interesting topic coming up. Dr. Sherry Towers will be joining us. She is going to talk to us about some research she's completed about mass shootings and the contagion effect. Many of the mass shootings that uh, have been making the news of late are copycat crimes, they're finding out. Meaning they were motivated by other mass shootings. We're going to talk about our research, find out what could be done about it and what we need to be paying attention to just as a citizenry. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, this past year, our nation has witnessed the tragedies of several mass shootings. And uh, the media coverage following these heart-wrenching moments aims to give more insight into the events, right, that are taking place during these shootings. However, according to a recent study that is out by our next guest, Dr. Sherry Towers of Arizona State, this heightened media attention of these mass shootings may be creating or having a contagious effect resulting in copycat killings for up to 13 days following the initial shooting. For example, um, one just interesting, crazy idea that just blew my mind when I was reading about this. Authorities found out that the 26-year-old perpetrator of that October shooting, if you remember, at the Umpqua Community College up in Oregon, that person had studied both the Columbine shooting and the 2011 Norway shooting in detail. They had been planning it out, and so become they become a copycat uh, killer, basically. And so Dr. Uh, Dr. Sherry Towers uh, is joining us now. She is the lead author of the study and is here to share more about the learnings from her research and the media's role in this contagion effect of mass shootings. Dr. Sherry Towers, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi there. How are you? Great. Great to have you on. Uh, interesting research that uh, you've been doing. What? First of all, what? Because you're a professor in mathematical and computational modeling sciences. Mm-hmm. What? How did you get into uh, to to this topic? This seems kind of like a sociology topic. So we have a lot of expertise in our in our modeling center in modeling of diseases. So modeling of contagious processes. And this, um, this topic actually was inspired by something that happened in my own life. Um, I collaborate with a group at Purdue University in Indiana. And back in 2014, I was due to have a meeting with that group. So I was in here in Indiana. And the, when that morning, the meeting was canceled because there was a tragic incident where a student walked into a classroom and shot and killed another student dead. Oh. And then that student walked out and waited for the police to come and arrest him. 
And we don't know why that student did it, by the way, because he committed suicide in, in jail. Oh, wow. Afterwards. But that day, I realized that that had been approximately the third, third shooting I had heard about in about a 10-day period. And it occurred to me that that seemed like an unusual clustering together in yeah. time, which could potentially be a hallmark of contagion. So I talked to my colleagues about it, and I said, you know, it might be interesting to apply the models that we use for the spread of contagious diseases to this to this topic. Oh, because that's great. ideas really are, can be contagious. Right. And so we went ahead and got some data, and we actually did the modeling study, and we found that indeed mass killings where there's at least four people killed and school shootings do indeed appear to be contagious. Now explain, and shootings, explain it. Yeah, explain, uh, explain contagious, yeah. So what, the way that would manifest itself is that you would see unusual bunching together in time of the event. So instead of them sort of happening uniformly, randomly in time, you would see clusters hmm. happening. And you, you wouldn't know which specifically were necessarily inspired by contagion unless, for instance, you have somebody like the Umpqua College shooter who actually stated that he was fascinated by previous you know, high-profile mass shooting events. But most of the time, you don't have those yeah. kind of manifestos. And so you can't point to any one single one and say, well, that one was inspired by contagion just because it occurred in this cluster. But when you take it as a whole over many years, which is what we had the data going back quite a few years, and you see these, you know, cluster, 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 you can actually quantify the amount of contagion that appears to be apparent in the, in the events. Yeah, you went through, I guess, an analysis of 176 mass shooting events from 06 to 2011 and 220 school shootings between 97 and 2013. And you see the clustering. Is the clustering just – it's not clustering in a location like a state, right? It's, it's clustering no. in, a, in a time frame. Exactly. And so we tested for that, whether or not there was geographic clustering, and there was not. Okay. And so one of the things we noticed was that mass shootings where there's less than four people killed, so there's three or more people shot, but less than four people killed. We also had data on that. Those happen very frequently in the U.S., hmm. like literally once every few days. And so because they happen so frequently, they are not big news anymore, and they rarely make it past the local press. And so one of the things we noticed was that that data set didn't show any evidence of contagion. So it was the data that had national or international media attention that showed evidence of contagion. Interesting. So, uh, wow. And now that now that, you know, the shooting of three people is no longer news, it's no longer creating the contagion effect. And uh, I guess could we ever get to a point where. A mass shooting of four isn't even news anymore, and you need 10 or more. I hope not. I, well, I guess what happens is not. it's when the media shifts, right? Because this is – that's kind of the point here is it's the media that creates and influences the contagion. So it appears – that's what we hypothesize. There certainly seems to be compelling um, evidence that suggests that in the data. Um, to prove it is actually much more difficult, right. but it does. there does seem to be a relationship. And so it could be that um, international or national media attention reaches that, you know, because let's face it, that very few people in society who will actually ever perpetrate one of these things. Right. And so they have to be mentally ill or mentally distressed. They have to have access to firearms. And it could be that watching these media stories is the straw that broke the camel's back that just basically sets them off. Hmm. 
is – I mean you also have found contagion uh, effect in other things like suicide. Um, I guess we've already kind of known that historically that one person commits suicide in an area, maybe more could also do so relatively quickly. Um, and then also in violence, just uh, I guess that's another thing that they're finding the contagion effect is is prominent. But this is a pretty big breakthrough, isn't it? Because – I mean, it might give us another tool to fight these mass shootings. Well, it's it's certainly people have suspected for a long time that there's a copycat effect in these mass mass shootings. But we're the first to quantify it. We're the first to say this percentage of, of killings appears to be inspired by contagion and the contagion appears to last for, in both cases, almost two weeks, about 13 mm. days for both school shootings and mass killings. Um, and so we were the first to quantify what I think people have suspected for a long time. Yeah. So that's that's what's um, unique about our study. Um, with this, with with things like suicides, um, it's been suspected for a long time. Again, like you mentioned, that they are contagious, and because of that, media in many large cities will not report on suicides that occur within the city. Like, for instance, if somebody jumps in front of the subway train or, or jumps off a bridge, the media will voluntarily not report that to prevent um, copycat suicide clusters. Mm. Is that, I mean, I guess out of your work, uh, have you have you put together proposals for the media? And, I mean, if anything, I guess just opening up a discussion with the media about how we cover these events. So I think that the, that, that the media would have to voluntarily do this. This is not something that the government should regulate because the media has First Amendment rights. Right. But one of the things I like to point out is that media is a product. Um, so just like something like, you know, for instance, Cheerios breakfast cereal, it's a product that consumers consume. And it's produced because consumers want to consume it. And so one of the things that I've been told by, by – because I've done many interviews regarding this study – by various reporters is that the stories that they do related to these mass killings are get the most hits of any stories they oh, have. Oh, wow, made. really? And so they make advertising dollars. Out of this. The reason they're getting these hits is because the public wants to read these stories. If the public did not read these stories, the media would not produce them, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because it's, because it's, they're not. They wouldn't be making any advertising dollars. There's no reason for them to produce these stories if people didn't show interest. Right, right. And Demand. So I think the dynamic here is not just the media choosing to to publish these stories. It's it's the public that that has a thirst for reading them is the main underlying problem, in my opinion. Well, sure. And then and then you the can almost see documentaries made. You can see uh, you know t- primetime TV series made about some of these? I mean, how many of these events have gone on, have been the main news story for weeks? Exactly. And actually, the speaking about the timeline of how long their news stories are, that that time length of how long they're in the news after these, you know, really big profile, high-profile events like the San Bernardino shooting, for instance, yeah. is about the same time frame that the contagion lasts. Oh, interesting. About, about two weeks. Yeah. Yeah, it's and again, demand and um, and cause. I mean, it's that's I guess what we need to learn more about is because exactly. the, a two like, week window is interesting. Yeah, yeah. What's what is it? But us as a society that's doing this, it's not just the media; it's us as a society as well. Hmm. Is I mean, when you look at this, um, because you're used to looking at diseases and the spread of, uh, you know, disease and fear. Did you have you done any research in the spread of fear 
about diseases? So we did a study last year where we looked at um, how the media was inciting um, panic about Ebola Uh in the U.S. So the outbreak in the U.S., you can count on one hand the number of people who actually came down with Ebola in the U.S. And so what we found was that people's um, online uh, behavior related to, like, for instance, tweets related to Ebola or Internet searches for even things like, do I have Ebola? People were searching for that. (laughs) And we found that when you overlaid the temporal patterns of the media stories, it was almost an exact match. It was actually very eerie how, how exactly it matched. To the mass shooting data? No, no, no. This is the media stories about Ebola. Oh, about and Ebola. So we found to the media. That the media I see. stories about Ebola yeah. were, were basically putting the idea in people's heads to tweet about Ebola or to do internet searches about Ebola. Holy cow. It's, it's fear mongering. It's, it's, isn't it? I mean, it's, I mean, I guess it's also answering questions about supposedly what the audience wants to know, but it's also true. Yeah. But it's inciting the contagion. It's, it's creating the, the I guess the panic a little bit. Let's. It, uh, it was almost frightening, actually, when you when we overlay those. Oh those, yeah. Those temporal patterns, like the dips and the yeah. and the peaks. Oh. And they almost exactly match. It's almost frightening how much they exactly match. Holy cow. Uh, hang on with us, Sherry. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Sherry Towers out of Arizona State University about the contagion effect of mass shootings, the impact of the media, and I mean not even just mass shootings anymore. Now just any threat to life. Um, like Ebola, interesting, interesting insight from a from a serious professor in mathematical and computational modeling, giving us the insight we need. We'll take a break, folks. Come back, continue the discussion. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. to the Matt Townsend Show. We are joined from Arizona State University by Dr. Sherry Towers. Uh, She is a research professor in mathematical and computational modeling sciences and uh, also has done a lot of work in computational sociology, has received international media attention, including an analysis of how media can incite panic in population and how contagion may play a role in temporal patterns that uh, we're talking about today, observed in mass killings in the United States. Dr. Sherry Towers, welcome back to the show. Hi. Hey, um, this is interesting because you were talking earlier about the fact that, you know, most people won't go even, you know, meet the criteria of mental health issues and other stress issues um, and having a gun to go perform a mass shooting, except there's, a, I guess, the media, if we keep, if we keep, promoting uh, or talking about mass shootings and playing on a mass shooting or an event that's happened, I guess it, it kind of normalizes mass shootings for those that are more likely to perform one. That, that may be true. That may be, that may be an aspect of it, yes. But the problem is, is that how do you balance the public's right. you know, Like if there was a mass shooting that happened, for instance, in my town, I think that I would like to know about you it. You want to know, right? Press by the media, but I think that the um, 
sometimes how the, the, the media portrays these things, um, and again, it's the public wanting to read these details that, that drives that, but how the media will sometimes just get into, into all the details of the person's life. Right. And, and in some sense, like it, the, there are these killers who actually idolize, for instance, the Columbine shooters or the Newtown shooter. Um, and I, that may be playing a role where they want that notoriety. Right. Right. And so I guess part of the media coverage, it's, it's, I guess it's the balance of the need to know and the role of media and then the point that we start like glorifying these people or just, I mean, just giving them too much honor, you know, too much uh, attention. So, I, I mean, I know a lot of the media organizations are trying to not mention their names, their, you know, but still – People are curious, I guess, right? Like, what would cause somebody to go to Umpqua Community College and do that? Um, I mean, I guess this is the discussion we need to be having in society. Yes. Yeah, indeed. Did did you, um, I guess, in your research, is it, uh, did you see other recent shootings? Did you see clustering from other recent shootings? That we might Absolutely. be more familiar with. Give us some examples. So there is the shooting that happened in uh, Michigan, where the Uber driver yep. was um, basically shooting, shooting, shooting up the town. And then it was now. Let me see if I get this right. It was Kansas, I believe. It was just a few days later, and there was um, a, a mass a mass free shooting, basically. And the person who perpetrated it was shooting out, out his car hmm. exactly like the Uber, Uber shooting that yeah. occurred, in, occurred in Michigan. And so it was actually eerie, the similarity yeah. between those two. And they only occurred a few days apart. What's interesting is that um, when you say you keep saying eerie and scary, but you're looking at numbers. This is the mathematician exactly. in you. Yes, that's true, but but it's, um, we're all people. No, but there's and there's a story behind every number, and so and that is eerie. That's true, and we also didn't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. So when we embark on these analyses, we don't know yeah. what we're going to find out, especially because we're treading new ground. Like this, this idea of applying contagion models in sociology is relatively new, and so we're among the first to do it. Our group. And so when we when we embark on these, we don't know what to expect, and sometimes it really is stunning the things that we that we see. It's like you look at it, you think there might have been you know some effect, and then you look and it's like wow, there like especially with the Ebola analysis I was talking about. You look at the you overlay these things, and it's so closely matched. Yeah, it's just it stuns you. Is it is because contagion it could actually it seems like be connected to other violence, right? Like. Um, back in the day, the abortion shootings at abortion clinics. Mm-hmm. It seems like mm-hmm. you'd get media coverage, which could get people frenzied, and then they, uh, then a, a, I guess a shooting. I guess that would be a mass shooting in a way. But um, so there, there might be a parallel between media and other movements or other violent acts, or even uh, I remember before the O.J. Simpson uh, trials, uh, the verdicts came out. I remember hearing everybody talk about. If the verdict isn't whatever, there's going to be riots in the streets. And I started thinking, hmm. And then the next day there were riots in the streets. Um, so so there's probably a, a deeper connection between media and a lot of other movements. We suspect, yes. Then this is something that we kind of have in our inbox to, to look at. Um, is that, for instance, things like public demonstrations or riots, mm-hmm. um, they seemed to, to cluster 
in time where you have public demonstrations and riots, for instance, at various places across the country spread out over time, but they're on similar themes and they that they may be inciting each other. Yeah. Yeah. In that sense. And well, so there's there's that effect. There's terrorism. Um, that it is suspected that uh, terrorism may also have a contagious effect. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. For, uh, it's probably another terrorist acts. So this, this is actually a very right field for yeah. studying a lot of interesting things. Um, is that where you're going next with this, or are you just going to get back to diseases like MRSA and and uh... we we are we actually. Um, since we've embarked on this uh, in this research direction, we still do we still do um, modeling of disease. So, for instance, we're working on various analyses associated with Zika right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also are, are spreading out into computational modeling of sociological processes as well. And so, we have some ideas that we would like to explore. Um, funding is a little bit of an issue um, for uh, research into firearm violence. Okay. It's very difficult yeah. to get funding because there's been a 20-year moratorium, congressional moratorium on oh, funding for really? firearm violence. Mm-hmm. To, to study firearm violence? Yes. Hmm. So you, you, there's, there's almost no funding available because of it. And so for researchers wow. like us, we have to do it essentially in our spare time. I mean, I guess you could understand that in maybe... A, you know, a, a Republican, you know, structured Congress. But um, wow, for all of the discussion we have well, about gun violence, you'd think that we'd be studying gun violence more. One would think, <laughs> but for the most people are unaware of the twenty-year moratorium. Yeah, right. It's not just the Republicans. No, right. No, it's exactly it's everybody. The House at one point in time, where this you know during this time period. <clears throat> that is interesting. Republican thing that is causing this. No, no, it, it's just it would make sense if that was the only thing going on. But everybody is talking about gun violence, and yet if anyone knew that there was a moratorium on studying gun violence, they'd be going crazy right now. Um, <laughs> interesting, Sherry, you're enlightening our minds. That is, uh, I think that's fascinating, and I, I really appreciate the work you're doing. In fact, I would love uh, somehow you've got to get funded too to just educate the media. I mean, I'm a member of the media and I don't want to make it worse by talking about these things. But um, what what advice would you give the media and the rest of us, just the consumers of media as we wrap this up? What would you say we really need to just pay attention to, make sure that we're not causing the problem? In my opinion, the, the length of media attention that's paid to these events goes on for quite a while, like you, this two-week time frame we were talking about. And I think that's unnecessary. Like after the first day or two, usually the most pertinent, you know, aspects of the event have been covered, mm-hmm. the, you know, the things that people need to know about it. And carrying it on for days and days and days after that is really just, um, it's, gratuitous almost yeah, in my yeah. opinion and that's just my opinion but i think that if the media were to restrain themselves to be you know coverage for say two or almost three days it would probably help hmm. no and that's and, and that could i mean I, I could even understand a little bit more of it on a local level but nationally you don't need to be covering a community you know shooting in another state nationally for for a week but I, mean, I, I would agree with you. That. Know, I mean, locally, yeah. it might make sense just because it was so impactful locally. But mm-hmm. um, wow, that's again just that. And you were just saying that's your bias, but I think you're right. 
I mean, it's like <laughs> makes sense again, Sherry. Uh, what do you think we should just do as a citizenry? What should I teach my kids to do? Do we just turn it off? Do we write letters to the editors at CNN or whatever? Both. I think turning it off, like after you've got the pertinent details and you've learned about this event, there's no need to treat it like entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, you've learned what you need to know. Turn off. Just avoid reading anything more about it. Because once people stop actually being the consumers, the avid consumers of this information, it will cease. Mm-hmm. Because media is a business. It's a, it's a producer of a product. And they're not going to produce that product if people don't consume it. So true. And I, that's a great point. Don't, if it's, it, it's becoming entertainment, right? We're looking, yeah. at, we're looking at a mass shooting, and it is, it's occupying our time and becoming entertainment. Well, we appreciate it. Uh, Dr. Sherry Towers, great work there out of Arizona State University. Keep it up. Keep educating us. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Man, I guess the decision is, do I watch the mass shooting news or do I go back to the Kardashians? Either one of them. Kardashians every time. Yeah. Either one of us. It ain't going to be pretty. We'll take a break, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, see the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, Crazy. Isn't that interesting? Dr. Sherry Towers was just talking to us about the contagion effect of shootings, and there's a moratorium on researching gun violence. Did any of you out there in listener land know that? That for the past 20 years, there's been a moratorium. No research funding for gun violence. That's crazy. And, you know, how many times has the president said he's sick of these mass shootings? He's done with it. Moratorium. No funding to, to do research on mass shootings. Okay. So you can complain all you want about mass shootings, as our legislators tend to do around every mass shooting. But put your money where your mouth is and... Break up the moratorium on funding of research. Let's learn what's going on. And for some of you, you'll love the answer because part of the answer is the media. We got to be careful what we're what uh, what we're doing. So, in an effort to break that very rule, uh, let me give you a story about a shooting. Um, a man is now being held for shooting at noisy dancers in China. Police in Southwest China have detained a man who opened fire with an air rifle on a group of dancing grannies. After becoming infuriated at the volume at which they were playing their music. Chinese state media. Where'd this music come from, Ben? This is what this I thought is belly Chinese grandmothers would be dancing to. Where'd you get this music? Um, my iPod. You've got this belly dancing music on your iPod? Every morning for 30 minutes, just a little bit of belly dancing. And Oh, that is disgusting. <laughs> Chinese state media said the man, named only as Mo, lost his cool when he asked the group of swinging 
septuagenarians, I guess that's 70-year-olds, 70-plus-year-olds, who had set up camp outside his home to turn down the volume, and he was rebuffed. I guess the man fired three shots from an air rifle, hitting one of the women in the leg. He shot somebody. And then he fled the scene and was picked up by police in a neighboring province six days later. Mo said uh, he claimed that he had intended to destroy the sound system. I was shooting at the sound system, but apparently his sights were off on his rifle. Ben, I'm really worried. I mean, that's bad. He shouldn't shoot at dancing 70-year-old ladies. But I'm really confused that you even have music like this on your iPod. It, like, if you really get into the exercise, uh-huh. your belly fat just burns off. It's, well, it's really amazing, actually. Um, I've been trying to get, like, a, a BYU Broadcasting Initiative pass uh-huh. where, like, we yeah. all do it together. Oh, like, but a, it, yeah. Like Tai Chi, is that what it's called? Yeah. Do a little exercise in the morning. So you're doing this as a workout every morning, a little belly dancing. Mm-hmm. And this is the music you use. Um, it varies between this and some other. Yeah. Just because this is radio and I'm very visual, um, what are you wearing while you're doing this? While you're burning the fat off of your belly? I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> okay. Good. <laughs> this. What do your roommates think? Like, oh, it's belly dancing time. Do any of them have a long rifle? <laughs> um, I'd be careful. That's a good question. I'll I'll keep yeah. that in mind next time. Hey, um, wow. I just thought we were going to do a story about belly dancers in China. It's got really awkward. It got really awkward. Really kind of fast. wish I didn't talk about that. Yeah, you know, a lot of us do, Ben. A lot of us wish you hadn't brought that up. Hey, um, by the way, uh, Ben was talking to somebody on campus, a woman from Arizona, talked to you about how she listens to the show and... She loves the Matt Townsend show and loves Matt Townsend. And then she said something else. What did she say? She said, you guys are really mean to me. Really? Yeah. She said that? Mm-hmm. Did she know that you listen to belly dancing music every morning and do this little workout? I left that out. Yeah. But, um... So she's listening. Yeah, I, I think so. Her ooh factor, ew, just went up about a thousand points. <laughs> she may have turned the, yeah. the radio off. Yeah. She may, not have listened to, she may not have listened to the entire show, every segment, every because then she'd understand. We're not rude. We're just exhausted. <laughs> We're frustrated. And then all of a sudden, you know. I'm the easiest tr- target to, yeah. to get at. Well, yeah, you're the guy with the belly dancing. Totally understand. Garb on. Hey, uh, great stuff. We're going to take a break, folks. That's hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. We'll come back next hour. To celebrate Crayola Crayon Day and also World Backup Day, folks. Today's the day you better go back up your files. Don't forget it. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Doing what we can on the program to give you the tools you need to live longer, love stronger, Today, 
No different. We're doing it again today. Uh, in a few minutes, we'll be talking with Dr. David Samadhi about prostate cancer in younger men. You know, we always think of prostate cancer in, you know, older people. You always hear, hey, everybody, by the time you're 90, every man's going to have prostate cancer. Well, we're going to find out the real details, the real facts about prostate cancer and, you know, when you need to start worrying about uh, being screened and uh, just all the information. Help you live longer. That's one of the goals of the show. And again, prostate cancer, um, it's, you know, one in 39 men will die of prostate cancer. It's like the second leading cause of death for men. you got to pay attention to it, gentlemen. We'll get to that in just a few minutes. We also today are celebrating Crayola Crayon Day. Uh, you know, the day that you get to, to go celebrate all those great crayons. Now, in my day, uh, for some reason, all of my crayons were broken. So there wasn't a lot to celebrate. But... Um, Oh, holy cow. Oh, the potato. This is the potato song. Why not? Because it's National Tater Day, folks. March 31st celebrates the potato, both white potatoes and sweet potatoes. They can fill many roles, folks. The lowly spud is an essential part of the diet of the economically challenged, providing essential vitamins, minerals, and fiber. This is a singing potato, by the way. My mother was Jersey Royal and my father Maddie's Piper. They got together and made me know we'll spend our days in the earth. Mm. Oh, the potato. Oh, the potato. Without us, you wouldn't have chips. You wouldn't have chips. Oh, the potato. Then what would you have with your fish? What would you have with your fish if you didn't have chips? Fish and chips. Obviously, from a different country. Uh, nothing better than a little mashed potatoes, right? Swimming in gravy. Mm-mm, mm-mm-mm. Or how about American favorite, uh, the potato salad? It's Tater Day, folks. National Tater Day. Buy your friend a potato. You know what I like to do on, on Tater Day? I like to uh, go get a whole big bag of taters from Idaho, and then I just leave one on everybody's desk. Have you ever celebrated Potato Day before? What do you mean? Every, every day I celebrate Potato Day. Do you celebrate half potato day? No. Okay. I celebrate French fry day, potato chip day, mashed potato day. I celebrate all forms of taters. Mm-mm. I do celebrate my half birthday though. And guess how I celebrate it? With the potato? With French fries. Mm. Very good. Uh, I had a burrito that had French fries in it. Was it a potato burrito? Ooh, those are good too. Those are, good too. Those are one of the greatest burritos. No, it was a it was a hamburger and fries burrito, and it clogged one of my arteries in my heart. I could feel it. Mm, you could feel the, could feel, the obstruction passing. Ow! It just like stuck. Nice. Oh, it hurt like a mother. But I just washed it down with a beverage, and then I had dessert. Usually, in those cases, the more sugar, the more better. Exactly. The more better. It's thicker. There's more viscosity to the mm. liquid, and it just sort of cleans your arteries. I love when you talk about food and viscosity. Yeah. Did you hear that Ben has a fan? He has a fan. Other than his mother? Really? I, mm-hmm. I think she was just more concerned at the verbal abuse that I sometimes oh, go through. It's, it's all in good fun. She says she loves the show. She can't get enough of it. 
Just because it's true doesn't mean it shouldn't hurt less, I guess. Yeah, and then she also said, but boy, you guys are rude to Ben. Oh, it's and, fine. And I'm like, you don't even know Ben. You knew him, you'd be rude to him also. <laughs> we are not rude to Ben. If, if it wasn't for us, Ben would be dead. She asked me if I made ice cream in my tub. Did you tell her the truth? I told her I do not. You liar. <laughs> tell the truth. Hey, so I spoke to a group of people that were contractors. Okay. And I told them how we look out of our window oh. at the bill at a building site. And I was talking to this group of people and I said like I saw the most amazing thing the other day. A guy was up on a scissor lift, standing on top of the rails of the scissor lift, tied in, so it seemed pretty safe. No, but yeah. And the scissor lift was extended all the way to its peak, Hmm. and he was trying to help put in uh, Joyce. And I found out later that's a safety violation. Yes. So there's a picture right on the scissor lift that says, don't do this. And I announced it to the entire association. That this one company, but they have a safety violation, <laughs> and there were OSHA, there were OSHA commissioners oh, wow. and, and labor commissioners. So when right we there. see a full work stoppage uh-huh. on the site next door, yeah, that's because of you. Yeah. BYU's basketball court will no longer be built I know. because of Matt Towns. I court. thought I was just like I was just trying to relate to everybody that hey, we watch you guys building every day. Next thing I know, I just shut down the entire site. OSHA violations. I called my <sighs> wife. I was talking with her. I was looking out the window, and you, I'm just watching a guy on his phone. He's just staring at his phone, texting and walking through the construction site. Oh, yeah. While wearing a shirt that says safety first. It's, it's kind of weird. <laughs> well, maybe he was maybe he was looking – maybe he was documenting a safety violation on his phone. No, I'm pretty sure he was on like – he was texting or was he was he on tweeting? Twitter or yeah. something like that. Something, you know, useless. But that wasn't at the site. That, you, that wasn't here. That was at another site. No, it was right here. No, sh- <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, there's two <laughs> a construction site far, far away. Another OSHA violation. The, the thing is, these guys take safety incredibly seriously. And yes, they, they do. so don't joke about it and don't bring it up in a speech with 100 of them. Yeah. And they're building our basketball court. I know. So. Well, not ours. Well, it's not like they're going to let us go over there and play. No, they are. Did you, no, they're having pickup games. Really? Yeah. BYU Broadcasting has a team now. Mm-hmm. We're playing... BYU oh, ben. basketball. Oh, Ben, you're not playing. Oh. No. Well, not we. It's yeah. more of a... Uh, you said I could hold the towels. Okay. Okay, yeah, yeah you can do that. Be, yeah. But you're not... that that. If that's play for you, fine. Yeah. Then you can do that. You, you be part of the team. Here's their sweaty towel. <laughs> do I get a t-shirt? No, 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 no. No. But you can have a towel. Yeah. We'll give you a towel. So you can wash them. It's almost like we're mean to Ben. People would think that. Yeah. I could see where that could be misconstrued. But it's more like a brother thing. It is. It's preparing him for life. Yeah. It's more like the guy that just got out of jail that moves in with your family. Yeah. And it's you're not like rude to him. You just no. – you don't trust him. You don't, right. you don't you, like him. You constantly bring up the fact that he just got out of jail. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not because you don't like him. It's not like you're avoiding the Because I like everybody. Right. To some level. Right. Yeah. Everybody that's not like dangerous. Sure. Sure. <sighs> and Ben has his days. Some days he might go off. Mm-hmm. And then he got to look out. He's and been that, very cordial today. He got now, a haircut too. Did you? Yeah, like three days ago. Oh, oh wow! I've just stopped looking. You kind of just even walk in and I wasn't here, so I, I would not have known that. <laughs> um, no, we do love you, Ben, and your fan. 
Sounds great. Again, I think she's just more concerned yeah. than... Well, she should be. <laughs> We're concerned. Daily. No bands have ever been injured in the making of the show. Let me think. Correct. Well, that one time. But that... That wasn't our fault. Anyone. That could have been anything. I it was mean, not our fault. I mean, it's fire. <laughs> so you lied to her about the bathtub uh, ice cream making machine. I will not comment See, on that, that. That should really be the story of the humble beginnings of your ice cream co- company mm-hmm. is from the bathtub. You need a story. You need a story. That would be your story. You say that the bathtub added that special zing yeah. to, the, to the flavor. The Aloha of your taste. ice cream. Yeah, yeah. You, do, you set the table. You're like, when I was about four, I would take a bath. And my mom had a lot of toys and stuff in there for me. And I would always grab a bucket. And I would start pouring shampoo in the bucket and body wash and Axe spray. <laughs> and I'd stir it up. And I'd always pretend like I was making ice cream. And it was only 12 years later that I was in my bathtub as a college student. And when, I made my first and batch I made of my ice first cream. batch of real ice cream. See, one of the trademarks of a really good barbecue place is they don't clean the grill. Right. They just they just cook it off. They cook all the and then yeah. it seasons oh, it just the grill. Flavor brings that flavor for your ice cream. It might be your dirty bathtub. But but the difference is the grill's not clean because there's meat left on the grill. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Where a bathtub, it's dirtied with other stuff, not. So, well, see, you need to don't don't focus on the details. Just go with the story. It's the origin story of your ice cream company, your bathtub. Uh, okay, okay, let's stop that. That is a disclaimer. I do not make my ice cream in a bathtub. All right, all right. He just makes it while sitting in his bathtub. <laughs> not a big deal, unless the machine's plugged in. That'll kill you. It would. That'll kill you. Electric shock. Uh, Let's get to the headlines, Terry. What else is going on around the rest of the world we need to pay attention to? Thanks, Matt. A number of pro-life groups have condemned Donald Trump's Wednesday remarks that women who get abortion should face punishment if the procedure is made illegal. Mr. Trump's comments today is completely out of touch with the pro-life movement and even more with women who have chosen such a sad thing as abortion. Jeannie Mancini, the president of the March for Life Education Defense Fund, said in a statement. Following outcry over his comments, the Trump campaign issued a statement, This issue is unclear and should be put back to the states for determination. Like Ronald Reagan, I am pro-life with exceptions, which I have outlined numerous times. And then, less than an hour later, another statement completely contradicting Trump's comments on MSNBC, saying if abortion were made illegal, he said the doctor or any person performing this illegal act upon a woman would be held legally responsible, not the woman. The woman is a victim in this case, as is the life of her womb. My position has not changed. Hmm. So he makes a comment, and then yeah. within two hours put out two separate two comments to, uh, to contradict what he had said. When uh, Washington, D.C. residents go to vote June 14th, Democratic presidential primary, Bernie Sanders might not, be, might not appear on the ballot. The District of Columbia Democratic Party submitted the required paperwork one day too late despite Sanders' campaign paying the $2,500 fee. An emergency vote by the D.C. City Council could restore the Vermont senator's ballot standing. The uh, D.C. Board of Elections will discuss this issue this week. Several D.C. Council members described the debacle as sloppy 
but the organization appears willing to make sure all candidates who filled or who filed their paperwork in good faith make the ballot. Hmm. So they were just a day late, but you know, some there's a day late, dollar short. There's a thing with that. There was also a problem with they closed the office early that day. Okay, yeah. So it was like a four p.m. They closed it. They should have been open till seven, but everybody went. Eh, we're just going to go home. It's early. So we'll see. There's discrepancies. President Obama commuted the sentence of 61 federal prisoners serving time for drug crimes on Wednesday, marking the first round of major uh, commutations, the word is. Uh, the White House has planned for this year to reform the criminal justice system. The majority of the inmates will be freed on July 28th, and some will be released on March 30th, 2017. More than one-third of the inmates were serving life sentences. Mm. But wow. life, life sentences but for like, drug of, possession. Yeah, yeah. And the, so. and the crazy uh, uh, mandatory, whatever, automatic. The mandatory minimums. minimums that yeah. get, and then the three strikes laws, those things mm-hmm. where you get caught with a – you do a couple bad things, get caught with an ounce of marijuana, and you're in jail for and 10 it years. disproportionately like, affects minority communities. Right. And not good. So that that's something that's happening across the country. Yeah. All, pretty much – there's a majority of states are on board with this concept, right? And uh, for different reasons, and uh, he's pushing it forward here with what's the 61? federal law that has to be changed, right? Yes. That was the big drug war kind of initiative from the '80s that didn't mm-hmm. really fix anything. The as tax day looms, Matt, do your yeah. taxes. Yeah, yeah. The Government Accountability Office released new rep- a new report Monday that paints a, disp- a disappointing picture of the IRS protections of taxpayer data. The tax agency has not effectively implement, implemented elements of its information security program, the government watchdog found, and until significant, significant changes are made, financial and taxpayer data will remain unnecessarily vulnerable hmm. to inappropriate and undetected use of mo- So basically, someone can hack into the IRS still and get all your information. Okay. After they, they've already done it before. Oh, yeah. Now, they can still do it. The IRS still hasn't updated their systems sufficiently enough. Wow. And the head of the IRS says, we're, we're working on it, which is what he said a year ago. Well, it's the Internal Revenue Service. Maybe if they just – they ought to just charge. If you want access to everyone's data, right. come through this portal yeah. and we'll just charge you. Just make give them a door. Just you have to pay <laughs> if like $400. they're going to give it away anyway, you may as well make money on it. And uh, finally, L.A. County Assemblyman Mike Gatto has introduced a bill that would allow Californians to cancel their internet or cable service online with one click. Wow. You mean not like 12 phone calls? Right. Just the one click. It says rapid advancements in technology grant consumers a wide variety of cable, internet, and phone service products from which they may choose. And while companies make it simple to buy or upgrade services, a cancellation request is usually a prolonged ordeal where customers are sometimes pressured into extending their contracts. Well, yeah. The bill provides a convenient and consumer-friendly option for Californians to remove unwanted services without a long phone call. Well, who would you fight with? Exactly. You would just, I guess, click your button and change your provider? Yeah. Well. You know, giving people that kind of freedom, I don't know if that's a good idea. But what about like the threats? Exactly. (laughs) What about, hey, we want our equipment back. Now, I ended mine with a satellite provider. Yeah. And I simply called them and said, I don't, I'd like to kill my, you know, shut down my service. They said, why? And they, they made one attempt. Uh huh. I said, no, that's fine. And they just shut it off. But are they the ones that took your car out of the parking lot? That's fine. They gave it back. Okay. They put a boot on it. <laughs> Who put a boot on my car? Oh, my cable company did. That's sad. We're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, uh, we are going to be talking about prostate cancer. Yes, we are. So relax. It's not going to kill you unless you wait too long.
We're going to talk about a major, major issue that could affect men and does affect men at a very, very high um, percentage. We'll be talking with Dr. David Samadhi, getting the uh, information, the scoop, especially, folks, uh, the incidence of prostate cancer in younger men. Men, it's on the rise. So this isn't just an old man's disease. Stick with us. We'll be talking about your health up next right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to The Matt Townsend Show. Prostate cancer is the second leading cause of cancer death in American men. Did you know that? About one man in 39 will die of prostate cancer, according to cancer.org. And while it had traditionally been a worry primarily of those older men, you know, uh, maybe 60, 70-year-olds, recent research has discovered that prostate cancer can be contracted by men in their 50s and even as young as 40 I wanted to talk about it on the show today because it's something, if it's the second leading cause of cancer death among men and we never talk about it, I think we ought to talk about it. Our guest today wrote a wonderful article about it uh, in Huffington Post. Dr. Uh, David Samadhi uh, wrote the article there and he joins us now live from New York to give us the, the, the insight that we need to manage prostate cancer and health. Uh, Dr. Samadhi, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Good morning, Matt. Great How to have you? you on. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you for having me. And, uh, you know, you're a, you're a doctor, chairman of urology, chief of robotic surgery at Lenox Hill Hospital. Um, and I wanted, I wanted to talk to you about it because the number that seems alarming is the fact that so many younger people now are contracting uh, prostate cancer. Is that right? That's exactly right. And I think this uh, interview is extremely important and it's an eye-opening experience for a lot of men out there who uh, may feel great, have absolutely no symptoms, but they may have a very aggressive prostate cancer uh, running through their body and not even know about this. Uh. Uh, Right before I uh, got on the phone with you, I just talked to a 51-year-old patient who came from Toronto. He's a very successful businessman. He came over here. He was diagnosed with early-stage prostate cancer, and he was in shock because, of course, you know, you expect to see this kind of prostate cancer in older men in their 60s and 70s. So um, when we had a conversation, he was told up there in Canada to have radiation. We had a discussion. I told him about all the pros and cons of surgery, and I just literally gave him the result of pathology, and his tears are so fresh, man, mm. as we were talking. And the reason is because we found about 80%, listen to this, 80% of his prostate was full of cancer, um, and it turned out to be a lot more aggressive than we expected from the biopsies. But fortunately, the margins are all negative. Mm. His seminal vesicles are negative, meaning that the cancer is all contained. Yeah. And this guy is going to have a, a great life in cancer. Wow. So this is tremendous. But and it was fast growing, and he's young. This, if we hadn't caught it, if you hadn't caught it, big deal. That's a he, he, he wouldn't be around. Yeah, so what's interesting in that article, what we said was based on the recent study, the number of younger men uh, that are being diagnosed with prostate cancer in the last decade has gone up almost by sixfold. Wow. Why is this happening? Number one, genetics plays a huge role. If your father, grandfather, uncles, 
brothers have prostate cancer, you're at risk. So a lot of this uh, prostate cancer among young men has to do with their genes and genetics. But you can't also forget about what's going on in our environment. Our diet, which is all like fatty food that we're eating, lack of exercise, obesity plays a big role, and and certainly age. So all of those are factors uh, that are involved. Part of the problem with men, there are two reasons why men can get into trouble. Hmm. I include myself. Number one, Matt, we don't like to go see doctors. No way. We are problem solvers. That's right. If the car is not having any problem, why should I take it for maintenance? Right. That's very different than women. Women, they go for their pap smears. Women, they go for their mammograms. They want to make sure they, they, they talk about prevention. We take care of the problem when it shows up. So because prostate cancer has no symptoms, and that's why they call it a silent cure, every guy that comes to my office, hey, doc, I'm great. I'm feeling yeah. fine. There's nothing wrong with me. I don't even know why I'm here. By the time you wait until you have a problem, it's already cancer is a spread. And that's why knowing your PSA screening and checking ahead of time, especially among young men, it's extremely vital, and it can save someone's life. About now, is, um, because there has been, in your article you mentioned it, there's just been some questions about the impact, the, 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 the effectiveness of PSA screening. Yes, uh, there has been a lot of controversy, and unfortunately the U.S. task force um, a few years ago uh, mentioned that you should not get PSA until the age of 50. What they are doing is they're going for the bulk of the disease. If they, if they think that most of cancers are going to be over 50, then that's where the recommendation mm-hmm. is. But what happens to the guy who is like 39-year-old that, that I operated on a few months ago? That guy, he would have never made it to that 50-year-old yeah. age, and he would, have, he would have died. So the key is to be your own doctor. Make sure you get a baseline PSA at the age of 40. Um, and all of these recommendations are for mass volume of public. It's for the whole entire country. But what applies to you may not apply to me or somebody else. Hmm. So check and get a baseline PSA. Now, we always talk about the PSA, which is, stands for prostate-specific antigen. That PSA, which is a blood test, which is the same thing as almost our our mammogram. We don't have mammogram for men, but it's our PSA. That's a screening tool that we use. Simple blood test and the digital rectal exam. So what is the normal PSA? It should be somewhere between 0 to 4, but it's also age-dependent, meaning that if you get a 40-year-old man, his PSA at 40 should be less than 1.5. So it's very tricky. It's good to go to the experts, uh, like a center that we have in New York City, to make sure that they uh, are in tune with what the updates are, what's going on. We have now a lot of imaging, uh, such as MRIs, genetic testing, etc. And not everybody that comes in with an elevated PSA is going to get a biopsy, and that's why men should not be scared. Um, your PSA may be high because you have an enlarged prostate. It may be high because you have inflammation of your prostate, prostatitis. Or it could be prostate cancer, and that's why my job is to work as a detective to distinguish who's going to be in trouble and who's going to be fine. Yeah, and I guess uh, your general practitioner, if you're just going in for a med checkup or just for, you know, your yearly exam, they probably won't then be doing a digital exam or a baseline PSA until you're 50, right? Excellent point. And the other thing is that 
Now there was an article a couple of months ago that Medicare may actually punish the medical doctors oh. and internists that if they get PSA, they may get penalized. I mean, the country is going the wrong direction right. when it comes to this screening and everything. So, you know, the, the, the talk is to the wives, the girlfriends, the other ones that are gatekeeper when it comes to health care, and they should be saying, like, hey, have you had your PSA? Let's go uh, check it. And uh, and that's and then you look at the trend of this PSA. You put it every year, and you follow it, and make sure that you know the trend is not going up too fast. And uh, you know it can really save someone's life. That's mm. really important. The other thing is that you brought a very good point. Medical doctors, can they do the same kind of prostate exam as myself, who deals with this day in and day out? And the answer is that medicine has become so subspecialized. That, you know, it's like me looking with a stethoscope, looking for someone's uh, arrhythmia in their heart. Well, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't look for murmurs. I haven't listened to someone's heart for a long time. Can I do it? Yes, but I'm not going to be as good as a cardiologist or internist. So that's why they need to see a urologist, uh, get a second opinion always. If you have any questions, we're certainly over here and then uh, can be more than helpful to, to save them. And I guess especially if you have a genetic component, a father that had prostate cancer, does it matter at any age? I mean, if, if your father, like, like the, the, your article was talking about, pretty much most men will die with prostate cancer, not of prostate cancer. So how, at what point do I need to get worried if my father had it? Is that pretty much a, a good indicator that I need to go yes. s- so, seek out a urologist? That's right. Somebody whose father or family history of prostate cancer, they are at higher risk. And with those patients, we will start them at the age of 40, and every six months to a year, we'll follow up with a PSA. There's also a lot of other tests. There's a urine test called PCA3 test that we do in the office, and that can lean you know, a direction of which way this patient is headed. There is a PHI test. There is 4K test. These are all like tests that we can do, not just based on PSA, but derivatives of PSA to make sure that we're not jumping into the biopsy right away. Mm -hmm. Um, And by the way, the biopsy is not the the end of the world. The risk of infection from biopsy is about 1% in the hands of experienced surgeons. The way I do it is a little different than most urologists. I give a lot of lidocaine injection around the prostate so they don't have much pain. And using our MRI images, what we have in our center here in New York, Matt, we have an MRI fusion biopsy, meaning that not only we, I use the ultrasound images, but also use MRI images to find out like a GPS exactly what part of prostate has cancer and go after that and it has increased the sensitivity of our biopsies. So I would, I'm, I would be more aggressive with young men in their 40s um, than when they get to their 75, 80-year-old because something else is going to get them and not prostate cancer. Right, right. The other thing that is, is good for people to know is that not every prostate cancer is the same. And there's a whole art to this because there are some low-risk prostate cancers, some aggressive ones, some moderate risk. The amount of cancer in the prostate is also in the biopsy is vital. So we look at all of these, and uh, by, uh, there's a lot of information actually on uh, YouTube and also on this blog, samadimd.com. 
for anybody that wants to read more about this, samadhimd.com. There's tons and tons of information about uh, PSA and biopsies, etc. And then if you are diagnosed and it needs to be uh, you know, t- taken care of, I guess one of the options is radiation treatment. Uh, we radiate it. What are the other options? What are the other treatments? Because well, you know, it used to be you heard, actually, yeah, yeah, you heard you bad stories. That's right, Matt. There's a lot of like ads about CyberKnife, about radiation. A lot of these radiations became popular years ago because open surgery for prostate cancer was very devastating. It, it, you know, it yeah. involved a big incision, a lot of bleeding, incontinence wasn't so great. Again, in the hands of experienced surgeons, uh, their outcome is superb. What I do is, as a first line of treatment for prostate cancer, I use robotic technology. I was one of the pioneers in the field in this country. I took all the experience from the oncology part when I was at Sloan Kettering, then brought a lot of laparoscopic experience from France. And now fast forward 7,000 of these surgeries later, patients enjoy their continence. We have 97% urinary control. Hmm. 80% of the patients are able to get their sexual function back. And they're only in the operating room for about an hour. And I use this Da Vinci Robotics to remove the prostate. Why surgery is the first line of treatment for prostate cancer is because it tells you this stage. How much cancer do you have? Has it spread or not? Mm. And the follow-up, Matt, after surgery is very clear because your PSA should be zero and undetectable. With radiation, it's not the case. With radiation, because your prostate is still there, it continues to fluctuate. The other problem with radiation is that long-term, not only it causes incontinence and scarring and impotence, but a lot of people, people don't know, radiation long-term can also cause secondary cancer, like rectal cancer and bladder cancer. So I think if you have a chance, if you can find an experienced surgeon, um, the outcome is superb. The cancer doesn't belong there. You yeah. remove it, you follow it closely, and use radiation as a backup plan. In case there's any microscopic cells that comes back after surgery, that's when I would go to radiation, yeah. and I give a low dose and save someone's life. Do um, Talk to us just a minute longer here about uh, what do we do to prevent it? Is there a way to prevent it? You mentioned diet. You mentioned exercise, uh, family risk, um, but... We've kind of talked about the family risk. What what could we do to, you know, to decrease the odds of ever having this cancer? We're finding out more and more that besides genetics and environmental and diet, the main reason why people or the cells can change from normal to cancer cells, perhaps it has to do with in, in, inflammation. And inflammation is the key word. And that's what you want to prevent. That's what we can do. Whether it's going to be green tea extracts, taking a lot of foods that are full of antioxidants, strawberries, blueberries, adding turmeric to your food, um, getting enough sleep, seven hours of sleep, getting your exercise, etc., losing the weight. All of these can reduce your inflammatory cells, which are like the prerequisite um, to uh, getting cancer. Hmm. Um, the genetics, you can't change anything about it, and that's why screening is very vital for those people. And I think that, you know, people need to know that as long as prostate cancer is confined within the prostate, the cure rate, the prognosis, longevity, and long-term outcome is superb. Once you have microscopic cells that are outside the prostate, then it's a whole different type of uh, treatment. You have chemotherapy and radiation and other things that may not be as good. So um, healthy diet, 
adding exercise regimen, making sure that you add all the omega-3 fatty acid, reducing inflammation, add turmeric and garlic and ginger, green tea, certainly lycopene, which you find in a lot of tomatoes and watermelon is superb. Um, zinc is, is good to add to your diet, and you can take some supplements for your healthy prostate. Um, and we want people to stay away from vitamin E and selenium. Many studies have shown that taking vitamin E can actually increase the risk of prostate cancer. Mm. And while we're talking about all these, uh, you know, uh, supplements, etc., there also has been a huge trend of young men, especially, going on testosterone yeah. in order to increase their libido, their sex life, or they think like, you know, they, by taking testosterone treatment, they lose the belly fat. That's quite dangerous because... Uh, they do it without knowing what their, what their testosterone is. They do it without knowing what their PSA is. And testosterone is one of the main hormones that can feed those cells and can increase uh, uh, yeah. the convert prostate cancer. So be careful with that. Yeah, that's, that's great insight. Well, uh, Dr. David Samadhi, we appreciate you. Again, your, your website, samadhimd.com, is a great and resource. Also, yeah, that's right, Matt. Also, prostatecancer911.com. For a lot of people who are have questions, they are diagnosed with prostate cancer and they don't know what to do, they can go to prostatecancer911.com and they can send their information and we will be happy to get back to them and help them that's in great. any way, shape, or form. Dr. David Samadhi, thank you so much for your thank insight you and advice. Appreciate it. Oh, wow. I mean, really, it's, it's not... It's, we can handle this, folks. It's information. Educate yourself. Learn. If you are at risk because of family and genetics, get in. Go see a urologist. Go get it cleared. And then uh, let's live healthier. We'll take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Doing what we can to help you live longer, love stronger. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Everybody to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. See, we've taken care of your physical health. You know, ladies, you might have to be the one that shakes the tree a little bit and tells your husband he's got to go get his prostate checked. And then he'll argue with you, I don't even think I have a prostate. I have not seen it for years. Here's the dilemma. But uh, they're not going to go. They're not. They're just not going to go. Because they want, here's the lesson of life. Men are different than women. And there's a great, so I'm just going to do a little coach's corner. And then, you know, then I've got some other awesome news to tell you. Um, But here's the deal. Some research by a woman named Deborah Tannen. She's a linguist. She studied men and women in communication. And the problem is when women communicate, it's not a problem, but they they talk to bond. So you ladies, because you love your men, you're going to want to talk about their prostate health and say you got to go get that checked. But when men talk, one of the things she found is that men generally talk with our with our hierarchy engaged. She calls it hierarchy. You might call it your ego. So when men talk, they like to have their position or their status – not lowered in the conversation, right? 
So there tends to be a battle in a conversation generally between a male and a female about life because she's talking not worried about status or hierarchy, but he's talking as he's worried about hierarchy. So she talks about his prostate health because she wants him around for a long time. And he feels like you're diminishing him because you're acting like he's broken. And I don't want to go have him stick a needle in me and then do other tests. I'm not going to do that because that lowers the hierarchy, which is, I believe, truly one reason why men don't go get help. Because, well, who would they who would they go to? Who knows better what's going on with me than me? So. It's an issue. And so, ladies, can I just challenge you? you you're probably going to have to be the deal maker here. You're going to have to push harder on your guy to go get these tests. And it's interesting. I always joke in my, uh, in my classes and my workshops that women will go get their pap smear. They'll go get the mammograms. They'll go get all these required tests and they get them regularly. And, I mean, they don't like any of it, but they just do it, right? They just do it. And then they can go to a party that afternoon and talk about it. And all the other women will be like, oh, oh, yeah. And they'll all just talk about their mammogram today. But if a guy just had a, a, an exam at the doctor's office for his prostate, who do you think he would tell about it? Right? He's not, he's not going to go to the construction site and be like, gentlemen, holy cow. That was crazy. Because if he did – all of the men would walk away from him on that site. Nobody's going near that guy. That guy's got a prostate. So we can't – we don't talk about it. It doesn't mean you can't, but men don't uh, want to go there. I also believe uh, – in fact, there was some interesting research that came out a few years ago that if a man has a heart attack in a public setting, he's much more likely to get help than if he has a heart attack alone or at his home in his room. Right. And part of that is because maybe just if it's public, you're not going to have any choice because everyone's going to see you grabbing your chest and then they're going to call 911 for you. So then you get help. But what they believe is that men that have a heart attack at home, they might just kind of go back to the back bedroom and fight it out instead of making a big scene. So, guys. Get real. This is your health. This is your family. Think about the opportunity to raise your grandkids, to be there for your grandchildren. Prostate health, it's there. You got a prostate. Deal with it. Don't pretend like it's not there. Quit messing around. This is a serious deal. Ladies, demand uh, some action from your men. Get them help. Talk about it, especially if they have brothers and a father that had prostate issues. Get help. You need the help, right? Just a little community message for the men and the ladies. Let's learn to just do what needs to be done and maybe set the ego aside a bit. Especially, you know, you don't have to tell anyone you went. Just go, though. Get checked out. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we'll be talking about World Backup Day. Huge opportunity. You better be backing up your information. That way the IRS can sell it to other people. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, as as, uh, as you've heard on the show, we like to celebrate the days and and different uh, you know different things we need to focus on on every day. Today, by the way, is World Backup Day. Oh, sorry, I was just backing up the system. Benjamin. Benjamin Lamar has been, <laughs> a.k.a. Wasden. What do you, you're backing up the system on World Backup Day. Yes. You don't, you don't need to do that while I'm talking about World Backup Day. Well, I just got so excited. And you, like, got, yeah. <laughs> you got an idea, and you're like, I better do that right now before I forget it. Yeah, I, I have a problem with that. How many, so, how many times have you ever backed up the show? Um, I think two or three times. Really? Yeah. Have you ever done it on the air? Um, Just no, right this then? is the first. Yeah. So does your friend, your fan, know that you do stuff like this? I mean, does she listen to the show enough to know that we're not just mean to you, but you don't need to back up the show when I'm doing the show. And you don't do it on air. It just seems like it's important. It seems like German. Yeah. Is that German? No, I don't think so. I think it's you. World Backup Day is set aside as a reminder to back up your files even if it's uh, once a year. No matter how secure or safe you feel your data and equipment is, it's important to back up your files. 30% 30% of people don't have any way to save their important files in the event of a tragedy. That's sad because you could lose everything. 29% of all disasters are caused by accidents costing valuable time and money and resources, and they tend to affect, by the way, your technology. You may feel your computer is safe, but one in 10 of all computers, including household and business computers, are infected with a virus that may suddenly cause all of your data to be gone beyond retrieval. So, Matt, the moral of the story is, even if it's inconvenient, mm-hmm. back up your data. Benjamin. I know it's inconvenient, Matt. There's, it's, it, do it at a break. Jeepers. Oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. It's a hard job. It's a really hard job. Here's some tips for you to back up your data. You can go with the local backup, right, where you just put it on a hard drive, a CD if you're going to go that far back, a DVD or an external hard drive or a USB flash for heaven's sakes. I like uh, to carry a really big four terabyte drive everywhere I go. It's I wear it around a necklace around a chain around my neck. How big is that? It's about 12 pounds. 12 pounds, about four pounds a terabyte. Do you put it on a chain? Mm-hmm. Gold chain. Okay. Yep, and it's got a big T on it for terabyte. <laughs> Not Townsend. Nope. <laughs> and uh, so you can do the old local backup, which is a great thing. Um, I mean, by the way, times are changing, right? So now you can back stuff up on just a thumb drive. I remember I shot a video uh, workshop a 10-hour workshop that with all of the data and information, it took like, I can't even remember, but four huge drives just to back it up. And um, 
now that could probably all be done on really like a terabyte hard drive or two terabyte. So you can make a local backup. The advantage of a local backup is they're fast. It's accessible, right? You just plug it right into your computer. They can be made anywhere you are. You can just carry the backup drive with you. The disadvantage is the cost of the server or the media can be expensive. Um, you can even – this is just you backing it up on your local servers at the office or whatever. The other thing is if there's a physical problem in the, in the, in the building or something happens, then you could lose that – you could lose the device. You could lose the technology. So you'd be in trouble. Another tool is the online cloud backup. Mm-hmm. That way you can get it anywhere. Downside to that, you, you know, you got to pay f- subscription fees and costs. And uh, if you're into um, certain systems, they will just continue to complicate your life even more by making you, I don't know, change passwords, adapt, add more connections to the iCloud, let's say, if you were talking about iCloud. And then you have to go to IT and fix that problem. So it's a little more complicated. But um, back it up, folks. Back it up. It really Not you, Ben. Ben, not you. You told me to back it up. I, t- I was telling the people, the listeners. I am the people. <sighs> Doubt it. Not to be rude. Make a list of everything you need to back up, folks. And if you don't know what you're doing, spend some time today. Figure it out. It, it, you'll, you'll thank me later. You'll thank me later. And then create a habit of backing stuff up. It's pretty simple. Pretty simple. You'll, you'll appreciate me. Someday call in and just say, you know what, Dr. Matt, your backup helped a lot. And you're a jerk to, to Ben. That's what they'd say. Help. Help me. I need help. We are looking for a new board operator. Anybody uh, interested, please apply. BYU Broadcasting. We'll take a break, folks. We'll be back next hour. More tools to help you live longer, love stronger. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, hour number three of the show. Welcome to the program. This is the uh, this is where we give you the information, the tools you need to live a healthier, happier life. Today, we are not stopping. We may have discovered what's going on with the political process. What do you mean? We have Dr. Stephen Stosny that will be joining us in a few minutes, and he's going to talk to us about the fact that maybe these politicians are using their toddler brain. No. Mm-hmm. Not their adult grown-up brain. Their toddler brain. Uh, I think we found the problem. Dr. Stosny wrote the book, Soar Above, How to Use the Most Profound Part of Your Brain Under Any Kind of Stress. Case in point, I believe it's clip three. Dude, i got to ask you about those back and forth between you and Senator Cruz uh, about wives. Uh, after saying that you were going to spill the beans about Heidi Cruz, you retweeted 
an unflattering picture of her next to a picture of your wife. I thought it was a nice picture of Heidi. I thought it was fine. Come on. I thought it was fine. She's a pretty you're, woman. You're running for president of excuse the United me, excuse States. Excuse me. I didn't start it. Oh, that's, I didn't start it. But, sir, sir, with all due respect, that's the argument of a five-year-old. I didn't start it. There no, we go. The, yeah, the argument, argument of a five-year-old is excuse he started me. You it. would say that. That's the problem with our country. Every parent knows that's, a kid that's not who a says he started excuse it. Excuse me. <laughs> he did it. It wasn't me. He started it. Honestly. Yeah. There you go. Toddler brain. Toddler brain. We'll be talking about how to get out of the toddler brain. But I don't know that we can get our politicians out of the toddler brain. Because I'm not sure they got another brain. Hmm. Is that is that where the general public want our politicians? No. You sure? Yeah. I think there might be a large portion that think, yeah, that's kind of fun well, to watch. Well, no, because if that's the case, then these these same politicians would be wetting themselves. Oh, true. Right, and they would not be able to make a meal. We're talking the higher end of the the toddlers. We <laughs> the can skip. End of the we can skip the. Brain. Yeah, they've got all the training down. Yeah, we're going to get into it because Dr. Stephen Stosny, he's the real deal. He's one of my favorite authors and. He's just got a huge heart, too. And what he's talking about is, come on, we got to grow up at some point. And it's not just the politicians, but he's like, all of us fall into this little fight or flight brain that just wants it our way. And we throw the tantrum, you know, like Ben. Uh, here's an interesting story. I don't know if you heard about it. Just throwing the Ben thing in there just for fun. No. Um, you may have heard about uh, this inmate in uh, – he's a resident. Christian Willoughby's his name. He was arrested for a misdemeanor. And was somehow able to take his phone or some other kind of picture uh, or a d- device able to take pictures into his jail cell with him. Hmm. Okay, According to the Daily Mail, the inmate then proceeded to take pictures and describe his experience in a review akin to what you might find on Yelp or TripAdvisor. Oh, nice. Right? Willoughby gave the jail four stars but took away one uh, star for the meal that they served him. Hmm. Which look like it's supposed to be beans and sausage, but on appearance alone, you can see why it may have detracted from his overall stay. He said he praised the cell's minimalistic style, hmm. adding that it was secure and safe with a quadruple glazing and security door. Mm. Simple, yet functional. Yeah. <laughs> Comments by Willoughby's Facebook post appeared to show that it wasn't his first stay at the police station. I've stayed here before many times. You could see his name on the wall. <laughs> Willoughby. And if his review holds true, it may not be his last. As he writes, he said, I'll definitely come back. The Daily Mail writes that authorities are currently investigating the incident and treating it as a security breach. But if you want to check it out, I'm sure it's on Yelp. Or staying at state prison, I would uh, suggest cell 49. Yeah. The it's, pool. It's great. Get a pool view if you can <laughs> with a deck. Nothing better than that. Lots of exercise equipment, they say. Right. Good stuff. And the people. The people. The people to die for. An eclectic mix, if you will. <laughs> uh, minus one star for my roomie, my mm. bunkie. Yeah. That's it smelled sad. like he hadn't showered for days. Mm-hmm. That's sad. What do you do? You don't go to prison. Don't go to prison. That's the rule right there. Just, <laughs> but at least he gave it a good review. He did. He gave it a great review. The accommodations were Spartan. But functional. You know, um, it's a sad day. Hmm. It's a sad day. Uh, Because you would think that you'd you'd think if you were a candidate for president, let's say, Mm -hmm. you could make a mistake. On some level. You could just – 
I mean, you could misspeak. It's just, it's just, I just misspoke, right? But you can't do that. Uh, for example, Donald Trump. For example. Has apparently really stepped in it. Did he misspeak? I, came in like a I don't think he knew what he was talking about. He's, he's a dancer. He's used to dancing. He's used to shucking and jiving. Foo, foo, foo. You know? So. And he got cornered by Chris Matthews. So if you're a visual person, imagine the two of them in boxing trunks. Just, and Matthews has him cornered. Boom, boom, boom. Donald's hair is just whipping, whipping, whipping. Mm, right. And Matthews is, so, so? What about abortion? What about abortion? Do you penalize her? What do you call it? Penalize? Punisher. Punisher. Punisher? What's the punishment? What's the punishment? You're going to answer it. I'm not going to let you out. But this is the dawn. He's always been able to get out of this. And then the next thing you know, a la Ronda Rousey, he got a whatever. Takes a roundhouse kick, a roundhouse roundhouse kick, kick to the face, to and the down kisser. he goes. And then gets up and tells another story. And then an hour later tells another story. Three stories about his view on whether women should be punished for abortion, having an abortion, <sighs> got ugly. But I think it's an important lesson for the Don, right? What's that? Think before you speak. Oh, okay. But with, Think, actually. With Chris Matthews breathing down your neck like he was, Ugh. was he kind of – do you feel like he was pressured into making a poor choice? No, I think Donald's ego – or was he just? He's Donald Trump. All he you have had to, say, to answer. Well, he couldn't not answer. All that he question. had to say is, "My view is this. I'm not going to get into hypotheticals." But to him, about that, laws that don't exist. To him, that would be a non-answer. Sure. That would be a politician's answer, and it's something he has tried to stay away from during this time as a as a candidate. Right, Donald. But Donald's the biggest. Because he spe- he says it how it is. That's right. how people say. Exactly. There's a there's an article on the Wall Street Journal. Uh, dot com that uh, yesterday it was the 30 times Trump has said something that could have sunk another candidate. This morning it was just updated to the 31 times Trump really? has. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Any other candidate would be down for the count by now. What, March 29th says two of the three most important functions of the federal government are providing health care and education? Mm. Which, not really. Uh, campaign manager charges battery against a reporter, threatens to spill the beans on Ted Cruz's wife, says he consults yep. himself on foreign policy. I have a good brain. Cancel Chicago rally, sparks violence, defends man charged with punching a pr- – I mean, just, yep. it just goes on just and on and on, up. right? It's just more and more and more. And then today I, I open it. Oh, March 30th says there has to be some sort of punishment for women. Hmm. It would have taken down a normal mortal. And so maybe this has more to do with the fact that maybe he has finally said something that will actually hurt him. Oh, yeah. Well, Whereas I, I, all the other times he just – everything know, just seemed to yeah. give him more votes. But it seems like what we're doing though is we're measuring the wrong metric, right? So right. this has probably hurt him majorly in a general election, right? Because right now he has maybe 25 at the most percent of the population – Following him, seventy-five percent of women say they will not vote for the dude. Right, that's a big deal. I just saw electoral map. If you take all men out of the voting equation, it doesn't look good for the Donald. Yeah, Donald would have to get seventy-five percent of the male vote, probably eighty percent of the male vote, just to win. Mm-hmm. It's not happening. So we've got a bunch of different games going on, and yet Hillary Clinton's happy about it. 
But it, yeah. you would think she wouldn't be because you'd think, yeah, bring him on. Bring Don on. Bring him on. Bring him on. But she doesn't want to be brought into that. That would be no. chaos. Yeah. Oh, jeepers. Anyway, um, you know, Kasich, he's just trying to stay away, stay out of it. La, 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 la. Cruz was asked. That was the greatest. Let's let's play that again. The um, Cruz had a great – Jimmy Kimmel called him on it. So, you know, how bad do you hate Trump? Donald Trump, is he the person you dislike most of anyone in America? <laughs> oh, no. Who look, do you like look, better, Obama or Trump? Look, look, look. Gotcha. I dislike Obama's policies more. I see. Uh, but, but Donald... Uh, Donald is a unique individual. <laughs> I, I will say I was watching the early part of the show, and, and, and if I were in my car and getting ready to reverse and saw Donald in the backup camera, <laughs> I'm not confident which pedal I put. <laughs> Ooh. Did he misspeak? No. Is he saying that he would run over he, he, presidential frontrunner? He, he didn't say he hated anybody. No. He doesn't hate anybody. Right. He might run over one. He, he specifically said he doesn't like Obama's policies mm-hmm. and that he wouldn't necessarily stop. See, that's a really, I think, good example of a politician shucking and jiving. Yeah. And he, he, he got through it. There was enough innuendo that there could have been a death, but it was never stated outright. Where Donald Trump has actually would just state it. Oh, yeah. I'd just run right over him <laughs> and then bag up and do it again. What do you do? Toddler brains. We're going to be talking about it in just a minute with Dr. Stosny. Uh, maybe that's what's going on. Too many toddler brains. But first, let's get to the headlines. Terry, what else do we need to know about the rest of the world? Staying with Donald Trump, a presidential campaign, he released a letter Wednesday evening that claims the GOP frontrunner's taxes in since 2009 are being audited by the IRS. Says your personal wow. tax returns have been under continuous examination by the uh, IRS since 2002, consistent with the IRS's practice for large and complex businesses, reads a letter from the reality TV star's tax lawyers. Trump has come under pressure in recent months to release his tax records. He says that he's under audit, so he can't release them. The candidate uh, claimed he can't do that, and even though the IRS says that he does not need to wait. Yeah. The IRS is like, go ahead. And he's like, oh, no, no, you guys are auditing me. And they're like, that's not a big no, deal. Not. Just send them out. Just send them out. Not a big deal. If not, if we'll just have someone hack in and get them. So, update on his taxes. Cool. They're still not coming out. Uh, President Obama's push to close Guantanamo military detention, detention camp. Another dozen tra- uh, detainees will be transferred to at least two countries that have agreed to house them. The relocations will start over the coming days, last over the next few weeks. Last month, Obama presented a plan to close the prison to Congress. There are 91 prisoners left at the naval base. Most of the inmates have been held without, without trial or even a formal charge hmm. for more than 10 years. I think I think Obama's doing something down there. He's going to open a resort. He's going to close Guantanamo and open an American resort. Disney Cuba? Yeah. Guantanamo Cuba. Disney. So it's a water park. It's a water park. It'd be great. Mm -hmm. They have water boards. They have all sorts of water devices. All kind of water attractions. Horrible. Uh, A prosecutor in Arkansas said after he heard that the FBI was able to crack into an iPhone used by the San Bernardino shooters, he asked for assistance in unlocking an iPhone 6 and an iPod belonging to two suspects in a murder case. Hmm. The FBI has agreed to help. 
but it's unclear if they'll be using the same method that allows them to gain access to the San Bernardino phone, the LA Times says. The question there being the FBI said this is a one-time thing. Sure. We want to unlock this one phone. Apple's concern was then you're going to just show up with like 90 other phones and want them open. They're like, no, we're not ah, going to do that. Come on. And this is like just a couple of days later, yeah. and now they're helping Arkansas open some phones. Oh, yeah. They're, they're going to open up a phone store. Speaking of phones, uh, the FBI and Apple encrypted debate has certainly brought bo- uh, both regulators and the tech companies to life in the U.S., but it turns out we'd rather have high-performing or cheap smartphones than one that looks after our personal data. Yeah, we don't care about that for some reason. A report uh, in a poll, on a poll conducted this month found that just one in ten Americans say security is the most important feature for them when buying a phone, while performance or price both top the list for a third of the people each. Around 60% of people surveyed say they trust Apple to protect their data. It goes on from there. Mm. So 90% of people would opt for a faster or cheaper phone over a secure phone. Wow. Well, we aren't the president. Right. I mean, what do you want? Yeah, I'll have a faster phone. I want one with more battery life, but that's just me. Ooh, there you go. A Massachusetts man has decided to part ways with his colossal video game collection that he started as a kid 27 years ago. John, as he goes by, he's 30, also goes by the username My Whole Video Game Collection. That's his handle on eBay, just wow. so you can go find him. He's placed an astonishing 3,133 games on eBay for a whopping price tag of $150,000. Wow. John said he's been collecting video games ever since he received uh, the Mario Brothers Duck Hunt combo game that I had myself back in 1989. <laughs> Um, he got that at four. He said he also includes a buy it now price or 25 video game consoles. Mm. So not only the games, there's 25 video game consoles, including a few duplicate, duplicate, duplicates like a Nintendo 64 in various colors. Wow. So there you go. All games are fully functioning. Most are in mint condition because he didn't have enough time to open them. What? So they're just sitting on a shelf, all in alphabetical order in his house. Somebody seems to have an obsession. A little bit. He's trying to move on. Apparently, it's as we're talking off. about. At some point, you have to grow up, yeah, right? You got to grow up. Got to get out of your toddler brain. There you go. Hey, appreciate it. Uh, we're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, Doctor Stephen Stosny will be joining us. He's the author of the book "Soar Above: How to Access Your Higher Brain for a Better Life." He'll be talking about uh, some of the brain um, research and studies that have been going on, and really, maybe uh, too many of us are stuck in our toddler brain. Uh, we might even see a lot of that going on in the political world today. The toddler brain versus kind of the grown-up adult brain. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, have better relationships by getting in the right part of your brain. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, when you're angry, stressed, or under pressure, you might do things you regret. Maybe you lash out at someone, say something you don't mean, or completely ignore the people who matter most to you. Think of a toddler who doesn't get his candy bar in the grocery store. One small thing can trigger an outrageous tantrum. That toddler may flail on the ground, shout, cry, stomp his feet, Sometimes when we have stressful situations, we can revert back to our childish ways and show similar toddler-like reactions. Joining us now is Dr. Stephen Stosny. Uh, He's uh, an expert in family violence. He's a consultant as well there and uh, founder 
of Compassion Power, which is a great website, CompassionPower.com. Dr. Stosny is a, a, a wonderful um, educator, but also researcher. Um, he is the author of a new book, Soar Above, How to Use the Most Profound Part of Your Brain Under Any Kind of Stress. Dr. Stephen Stosny, welcome back to The Matt Townsend Show. Oh, it's my pleasure. We love having you, and I love your insight. Uh, I was excited when I heard this new book was coming out because this gets kind of to the root of of maybe some uh, abusive but also childlike behavior that we, we see maybe in all of us. Yes, we, we all retreat to the toddler brain under stress. The difference with abusers and the rest of us is abusers violate boundaries mm. when they do it. Uh, most of us just stamp our feet yeah. and, and do self-destructive and, things. We don't hit anybody. Yeah, we fall to the ground and want our candy bar. You, yeah. I loved this article that you uh, wrote about kind of the toddler brain um, and politics because we we do see some weird stuff going on in our political worlds and just I mean even in in people that are uh, fighting at certain uh, uh, you know. Um, candidates, I don't know what they call meetings, or uh, people that are, that are just choosing a little more violence or tantrum throwing, is that also still part of that toddler brain? It sure is. Uh, see, the toddler brain is fully, I call it that because it's fully developed by age three. It's basically an alarm system. It just says something is wrong, but it doesn't have any capacity to improve it. Huh. Just an alarm, because toddlers can't right. solve problems. They need to sound an alarm for somebody else to do it. So they, uh, in the toddler brain, you're incapable of seeing any other perspective but your own. You don't even really see that. It's all uh, gut feelings. So everything is black and white. Everything is oversimplified. Uh, and you, if you don't give me the candy, you're the enemy. Yeah, yeah. And then I guess we 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 you know we blame each other, and we it's it really does look like our political world. There's so many that just can only see it one way. And I guess is this a survival technique then? No, it's not a survival technique so much as a, a developmental stage that people for, forge habits into. In other words, when, uh, the, the two-and-a-half to three-year-old, it's the first time in their lives when they're first realizing they're different from their parents. So they have to push away. Before that, they feel merged with them. Mm-hmm. They think you can read their minds, and you're feeling the same thing they're feeling. But about two, two-and-a-half, three, it varies with different children. They realize they have their own agenda, and it's different from yours. <laughs> but but they don't know who they are. Psychologists call that a negative identity. They don't have an identity, but they know who they're not. They're not whatever you want. So their favorite two words are no and mine. And the political discourse is pretty much mm. mine or my way and no. Yeah. You can reduce almost everything they say to mine and no. That's it's, and it's interesting. It is a negative identity. They don't know what they are, but they know what they're not. Right. Uh, they're not anybody else. They're running against. <laughs> That's so true. And and that it's but it also I guess teaches us at some point we've got to move out of the toddler brain to the, I guess, the adult brain, which is, I guess, that's the prefrontal cortex that we hear so much about. Yeah, the upper prefrontal cortex, that's unique to humans. The toddler brain's common to all mammals. It's fully, not fully developed till uh, uh, 28. It regulates emotions, impulses, gives sophisticated thought and analysis, judgment, planning, 
self-reflection, the ability to know what you're doing and what you're feeling and how people are reacting to you, and the ability to see other perspectives. Uh, the pr- problem with, and, and most people live most of their day in the prefrontal cortex. Hmm. The problem is under stress, we retreat to that toddler brain. A lot of research shows that under stress, all animals, including humans, retreat to habits learned very early in life. Uh, and the emotion regulation habits are blame, deny, and avoid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is. That is what toddlers do. You yeah, see totally. Toy broken. You ask the toddler who did it. He'll blame someone else. My daughter was an only child. She used to say, "Jimmy, do it." That was her imaginary Jimmy, friend. <laughs> Jimmy's not even a real person, but he <laughs> no, did it. Not a real person. So it's blame. Uh, I don't know. Denial or their kids hiding avoidance. Interesting. So it, we go to that blame, denial, avoidance under stress, and, and the stress uh, could just be, you know, your spouse wanting to talk. Yes, it can be. If you don't want to talk, it can be anything that you don't want to do or that you're not uh, uh, prepared to do. Uh, the other thing about the toddler brain is it's stimulated by physiological states. Anybody who has a toddler knows that yeah. they're tired, hungry, <laughs> uh, distracted. Uh, those are danger areas. So the toddler brain gets invoked when we're tired, when we're hungry, when we're working too much. Yeah. That, that's when it's more likely to get invoked. Oh, that is so true. So I mean, this is what I love about what you do, Stephen, because you've worked with prisoners who have been in uh, um, because of anger issues and abuse issues. And you've kind of there. there's a better explanation for it than just people are bad. Uh, you're finding the science behind it and kind of the spirit to fix it. Yes, well, the spirit comes from the motivation to practice the skills to invoke the uh, adult brain under stress. It is just a skill. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody can develop it, but it, the only way the brain acquires a habit is through repetition. So you have to practice invoking the, the adult brain under stress. And that's where the spirit comes in to give you the motivation to do the hard practice mm-hmm. to be able to do it consistently. Does does the spirit of compassion come um, from the high brain, from the prefrontal cortex, or yes. where is that it? Yes, because compassion requires understanding the perspective of the other person and sympathizing with it when it's different from your own. Hmm. Toddlers can't do that. They can empathize. If you're feeling what they're feeling, they can empathize with that. But compassion is a higher order uh, human emotion that comes from the upper prefrontal cortex because you can sympathize with some kind of emotional state or vulnerability, pain or suffering that you don't share. Hmm. And that really is, that's the nail. That's the key. Right. So if you're angry at me and I'm compassionate, I can see that that you're feeling hurt in some way. If I'm just empathic and I'm not angry, (laughs) then I'm not going to see that you're hurt. I'm going to see that you're aggressive and I'm going to get angry back. Wow. And that's, I guess, why the book's called Soar Above. We've got to get above our thinking state, our state of being to a higher state. Yeah, uh, but it, but it's only habit. It's not uh, uh, it, it's not that you're we're not in the adult brain most of the time. We are. Yeah, yeah. It's just a habit that under stress we go into the blame, deny, avoid. 
when we most need to improve, appreciate, connect, or protect. Those four are the adult coping mechanisms. Yeah, improve our situation, appreciate what's, I guess, happening, connecting, and protecting. Right. Any one of those invokes the adult brain. We become adults uh, the, the moment that being protective is more important than being protected. Hmm. Children need to be protected. Adults need to protect. Yeah, I guess that does, huh? That puts us – then, we're, yeah, we're in a more of a, I guess, a, a service role versus a selfish role. Uh, yet service in, in a higher order. Yeah, sense. yeah. Not, not in servitude, right. but, uh, you know, in serving you, the sea of humanity or God or, or mm-hmm. something higher than the self. It's powerful. Um, let's do this, Steve. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Stephen Stosny. Uh, you got to go to his website, CompassionPower.com, and go look at his books. I mean, one of his favorite, my favorite books is How to How to uh, Talk. What's it called? What is it, Stephen? How to How to Improve Your Marriage Without, without Talking. Without yeah. Talking. I mean, it was brilliant. <laughs> like every guy I know is like perfect. We don't even have to talk about it, but there's so much information that you can understand um, and change behavior like we're learning now. Get in our high brain. If some of us would just sit and, and just think for a minute before we got into our fights or our discussions, we might actually get ahead and get some compassion before we lower the boom. We'll take a break, folks. Come back more with Dr. Stephen Stosny and his new book, Soar Above. How to use the most profound part of your brain under any kind of stress. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, joined on the phone by Dr. Stephen Stosny from CompassionPower.com. He uh, is a world-renowned uh, relationship expert and compassion expert. His heart is enormous, and uh, also his depth of knowledge, I think, is incredible. He's helping us understand about the power we have as humans to use really uh, probably, I, I guess you call it the most profound part of your brain, the prefrontal cortex, so we don't get run over by our little toddler brain. Is that right, Stephen? Yeah, that's, that's right. One of the uh, esteemed neurologists, Joe Ledoe, came up with this term that under stress, the uh, limbic system, which is the toddler brain, hijacks the prefrontal hmm. cortex. I like love that term. I do too. I do too. It's like, it's like comes in with a gun and says, "Take this plane yep. to Cuba," <laughs> and then we're off to Cuba. It's yeah. but it really is that. I guess it gets hijacked, and then you're saying, then we just naturally, once we're kind of hijacked chemically, and I mean, and emotionally, we um, we then just get into a habit form of. Uh, blaming, of denying what's going on, avoiding it, fighting, flighting, probably? Yes. The, the, habit, the hijacking makes the prefrontal cortex serve the alarm instead of justifying Interesting. it, instead of regulating it. See, if a smoke alarm goes off, you don't run out of the house screaming, we're all going to die. Yeah, right. You, you check to see if there's a fire. And if there is, you put it out. It's probably just somebody cooking or smoking. Yeah, yeah. Because it's calibrated to give false alarms. But in the toddler brain, the alarm becomes reality. 
It's not a signal about a possible reality. In other words, if yeah. I'm angry at you, you must be doing something wrong. And all I'm going to do is find evidence that you're doing something wrong, and I'm going to completely ignore evidence to the contrary. If I'm afraid, you must be threatening. Hmm. If it's, I'm uh, if I'm uninterested, you must be boring. Right. Yeah, it just jumps to this automatic conclusion, and then it validates it. Yeah, the feeling becomes reality. Feelings are not reality. They're signals about a possible reality, and the prefrontal cortex has to test the reality. Interesting. So feelings are different than emotions? Well, feelings are a component of emotions. Uh, emotions have feelings. That's a conscious awareness. Of, of what's going on. Uh, it has arousal, which is mostly physiological. It, it sends action signals to the muscle groups and organs of the body. And it has a motivation. It's preparing you to do something. Hmm. Approach, avoid, or attack are the general motivations. Interesting. Uh, uh, we're aware of the feelings, because that's what you need consciousness to be aware of those. Yeah. But the other two functions of emotions are unconscious. We're not aware of them. But um, the, the point that I think your, your listeners want to get is that feelings are, uh, are the slowest part of the emotions, and they're also the part that has no reality testing. Uh, in other words, the toddler brain can't tell what's really happening from what's inside its head, what's mm. thinking or imagining. And that's how we're able to have emotions when nothing's happening, when we're just <laughs> thinking about something yeah. or imagining something or dreaming. Interesting. Be- because it's the prefrontal cortex that has to test the reality. Is this really happening? Is the alarm really uh, signaling something that's actually occurring? So an or advancement it- of a human then would be to when you're starting to have a feeling to go uh, test it. Go gather data, but gather kind of more neutral data to see in your prefrontal cortex to see if this is legit or not. Yeah, I'm feeling irritated. Is my wife doing something wrong or am I feeling am I hungry, hungry right? <laughs> tired? Yeah. And, uh, and I guess that's really the difference between, I guess, uh, I get, I get about, I guess, becoming more evolved, more, um, more probably what we want to become, more human, yeah, more healthy it, human. You be more. Uh, uh, I call it the upper prefrontal cortex is the the most profound part of the brain. That's the part where we soar above, where we become better, hmm. uh, morally, intellectually, and spiritually. All of that is the profound part of the brain, and it's always available to us if we don't give in to those habits of retreating to the toddler brain. And and it's that's the battle, isn't it? It's kind of the immediate, quick, and if you don't do it soon enough, do you get hijacked? How, how long does it take you to recover from hijacking, or is it just a shift of thinking? If you don't justify it uh, by say, the way we justify it is she had no right to say that right. to me, or you know how how dare him not not think about me? If we don't do that, the longest it can last is about twenty minutes. Hmm. Uh, but we have a way of prolonging and making it last for days. Yeah, and then we make stories, don't we? And then the stories are just the automatic script. Yes, the the stories, though, are never complete. They're always, because they don't have any other perspective. So you can't get the reality of an interaction without both perspectives together. That's binocular vision. 
if you only know your own perspective, you, uh, even if your perspective is completely right, it's going to be incomplete because you're not seeing the other half of the dynamic. Hmm. So we, this is like huge. Playing tennis by only seeing the ball coming at you, not seeing what you're doing to the ball. Right, right, <laughs> man. But um, Stephen, we got to get this out there. This is this is critical because it really becomes kind of the core to all of our meaning, all of our purpose, our happiness. And, I mean, being able to overcome stuff, being able to forgive people, just being able to be moral. Yeah. Yeah. See, the toddlers can get away with blame, denial, and avoidance because sure. they're, they're so cute. That's right. <laughs> it's not so cute when adults do it. That's though. right. Yeah. A tantrum by an adult is scary. Cops get called. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Well, um, man, I wish we had more time to talk, Stephen. Uh, give us the one thing. If there's one thing we could remember to make sure that we we do make that leap up into the higher uh, prefrontal cortex, the upper prefrontal cortex, what, what would help us make that leap quickly? I think that the easiest thing is when you feel bad, ask yourself, how can I make this a little better? Hmm. As soon as you do that, you engage the prefrontal cortex because the uh, toddler brain doesn't know how to make anything better. That's so great. <laughs> it just makes things worse. And that's the uh, neat thing about being a hum- an adult human. You, yeah. you have that how ability. Can I, how can I make it better? That's great. Not fix it completely yeah. because... You'll That'll overwhelm. Yeah. That. Yeah. How can I make it a little better? That's beautiful. Stephen Stosny, uh, great author, great, I think, gift to humanity. And uh, go check out the book, Soar Above, How to Use the Most Profound Part of Your Brain Under Any Kind of Stress. Also, go check out the website, CompassionPower.com. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. Appreciate you. Uh, truly great work. Uh, honestly, if you just go read the, his history of work, it's amazing, the lives he's changed. Um People that just had no shot at life, and now he's, uh, you know, he's helping all of us elevate our thinking from the toddler brain to the adult brain. If we could only get our politicians to do it, well, let's just start at home. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we'll go visit our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation, find out what's going on in their world today. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Time then at night I just sleep in the mud. Oh, the potato without us you wouldn't have chips. Oh, the potato. Then what would you have with your fish? Welcome back, everybody. That's the potato song because today we're celebrating potato or tater day, National Tater Day. Let's head down to two of our favorite taters dressed up in tuxedos today. Our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. Hey, do you guys like my potato song? It's awesome. I'm not sure what this potato song is about. It's today's National Tater Day. Oh, that's what it's about. So this is a guy singing a tribute. It's actually a potato. Who is it that's singing? It's a potato. Mr. Potato Head. Not Potato Head. That's another potato. It's just a potato singing the potato song. All right. All right, because if we didn't have potatoes, folks, we wouldn't have chips, right? You wouldn't have fries. That is a fantastic point, Matt. You probably also wouldn't have heart disease. You've never said a more relevant thing on your show. We might not have America. We might not have America. Hey, uh, you guys, are you really wearing tuxedos? Yes. Yeah. I got to see this. 
We're going to turn on our computer. In just a second. Cam's about to tweet out the photo. I'm tweeting out the photo. I think this is fantastic. You guys, do you always dress up or did you just have the tuxedo for 24 hours? So you get to use it today. Yeah, exactly. Good. (laughs) It's like those kids that go to dances and then they wear their tuxedo to church. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I never did that. (laughs) I love seeing a kid. I never did that. Give a talk in a tuxedo at church. <laughs> Why not? It's just fancy it's, formal clothes. It's fantastic. How did it? Uh, how did? How did it go? There was some good and some bad. You know, some, it was amazing. Some swings and misses with some of our jokes. Did but you? For the most part, I yeah. thought it was pretty good. We were unbelievable. Did you get a standing O? Not exactly. Oh. Some people stood at the end when it was time to go. Like when they're leaving. The lights on. But yeah. <laughs> Do you have video? I mean, is, is there a place yeah. we can? I want to watch the video. Uh, we'll, show, we'll show some of the highlights on uh, the show today. Will you show like, your like work? Just be, what we call B-roll. G- give me so, the joke that didn't work. Oh, let's just. Uh, for I mean, sure, my shack do we have, impersonation. Do we have enough time have to enough go time through all, all of them. Yeah. <laughs> your shack that didn't work? My shack <laughs> impersonation. Shack loves Cal Collinsworth. Shack <laughs> loves Shack Walker. Shack. Yeah, that one bombed, didn't it? Yeah, it was like. I love it. I love it. Hey, um, I I haven't been able to talk to you since the BYU lost to Valpo. Are you guys, oh, that, you were, what, wait, that happened? Whatever. Yeah, I was out. Oh yeah, you feeling better? Yeah, I felt great. I, you know, I had treatments. It was great. Did that thing that Joe Cannon gave you help? Yes. Holy cow! I went home and did it. I got it was waterboarding. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I did it. I did it. I, I didn't quite get a, get it. Get I don't know what the word is. I didn't get the right angle for a while, and so I was drowning for a while. But, hey, it's all good. I just coughed out the water. It's all good. Not a big deal. You got to do what you got to do, man. Yeah. It's called a neti pot. Highly recommended. Neti pot. Oh, That's we right. remember, unfortunately. You know what's weird is I'm actually branding my own nut neti pot. I just had some people in my office that want me to brand my own one, my own version. The Maddie pot. Uh-huh, the Maddie pot. At first, they go, thought it was, everyone thought it was something else, but nope. It's a neti pot. Yep. Hey, uh, so what What do you think? What's your take? BYU lost to Valpo. I need to hear it. You know BYU, what? BYU dug itself too big a hole. They were down yeah. 16, and it's too much to climb. Yeah, up. they came back to a point, right? We talked about this yesterday, how it was kind of an unfortunate trend for BYU to go down big in these games. Yeah. They trailed by double digits in 16 of the 37 games. And yet they only lost one game all year out of 37 by double figures. Wow. So it shows you they got down big, but they, you know, they would grind and they would fight back and, and get back in. And in some cases, they won. They won five games they were down by double digits in. Mm. Mm. So just against a team like that in a big setting, you know, an NCAA tournament quality team in Valpo, you can't do it. You have to exert so much energy getting back into right. the game. They just, you know, they can never really climb over the hill and... I think Valpo's going to win the NIT final tonight. Like, I think they're going to run away from George Washington. So, unfortunate, because I think if BYU won that game, they were going to be the NIT champions. Oh, so close. Yet so far away. Yet so far away. If I were you guys, I'd run over in your tuxes and go talk to them. Just, that, just lift up their spirits. And for sure, Jerem, do that Shaq. Do that Shaq. Uh, Shaq loves Nate Austin. Yeah, because that, that'll lift him up. Kyle Collinsworth, Triple Double Kings. <laughs> Six more than me. Okay, stop it. Um, talk to me about your show today. You're, you're going to do it today, right? Why, 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 post Why Award show. So we're going to hand out a, uh, an inaugural award on BYU Sports Nation, the Elite Award. Cool. The BYU Elite Award. So we're going to uh, hand that out. We have nominees. Fans can weigh in using the hashtag BYUSN. We'll also have three winners from yesterday's Why Awards on the show. 
the male and female athletes of the year. Shaquille Walker from track and field. Alexa Gray from women's volleyball. Wow. And then I can't remember what award Devon Blackman won, but he's a winner. He won a male crowd pleaser. Male crowd pleaser. Wow. Devon Blackman of the football team will join us. He's he's, uh, trying to play professionally, so we'll see how that's going for him. The male crowd pleaser. Mm -hmm. That just sounds weird. Honestly, it is the weirdest oddest phrase. Is there a female crowd pleaser? There is. There is one of those as well. Awkward. I have been known to be a male and a female crowd pleaser. (laughs) It should be a fan favorite or something, you know? We we can work on (laughs) that. It should be fan favorite. It just sounds less adult. Um, (laughs) Talk to me. uh, What else is on the show? Because this is a big day. I mean, you guys, you got tuxes, you got, you know. That's about it. Impersonations. Yeah, we, we gave you everything. Is that it? Is that it? Oh, we, we will tell you, uh, the Sporting News produced a list of the top 16 football and basketball schools mm. since 2010. BYU made the list. We'll tell you where and who they are in front of. Wow. Like, which, 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 you. which program, which athletic program has the best basketball and football Combo. teams combined? Since 2010. Since 2010. And, and yeah. BYU's in the top 16? Top yep. 16. They're on the, yep. What? Yep. Oh, I'm just going to guess they're ahead of Notre Dame. Ooh. I'll have to go back and look. I'm not sure where Notre Dame is. Okay, good. I'm just throwing that out there. Well, okay. You guys, you you did it again. And you impress me, even if you're not dressed in a tux. Mm, Thanks. I mean, that didn't sound like you really cared about that, Jerem. Thank you. Mm. Is BYU ahead of Notre Dame? No, they're not. Ah, Okay. Jerem is semi in a tux, Matt. Uh, Is he not wearing pants again? Oh, I'm wearing pants, just not those pants. Because <laughs> you remember how security got called that one time? No, I don't. Yeah. We're, we're uh, behind a desk, okay. so it doesn't matter. Well, it does to the people that have to watch you walk in and out. There's like two people. Okay. Well, guys, <laughs> leave it with that awkward <laughs> okay. moment. Have a great show today. Thank you, sir. Knock hey, him well, dead. Glad you're feeling better. Thank hey, you bye. so much. Good stuff. They get tuxes. They get award shows. We get brownies when students are graduating. <sighs> oh, well. Whatever. Hey, by the way, speaking of basketball, did you hear the story about uh, Syracuse man tied for first place uh, in the Yahoo NCAA bracket? He is in first place. He has uh, – his name is uh, – let's get here. Uh, his name is James Kiki. The resident of Syracuse, New York, and refugee from South Sudan decided to enter Yahoo's bracket contest for NCAA basketball, making his picks for the $50,000 grand prize. He's in first place. He's killing it. Problem. He forgot to pick some of the teams for the final game, which means he will probably not make it to the final money. The poor guy had a chance to win, I guess, in the end, about $100,000, and now he's not going to have that. Sad day, sad day. Now, in our Bad Boys segment, what I like to do, as you know, is help everybody. I'm an equal opportunity uh, coach, and sometimes I just like to help the criminal element, a female, uh, a Denver woman has been accused of stealing a taxi, but not before she told the driver where she was headed. Okay, so listen up, criminals. If, um, if you're going to steal a taxi, don't give them your address. 
and then steal the taxi. So the Denver woman told the cabbie uh, the, her address. The cab driver called police early Friday to say a woman got in his cab, asked to go to a 7-Eleven store. Police say that she then threatened him with a knife, kicked him out of the taxi, took off in the vehicle. The woman ditched the cab but walked to the convenience store that she had initially mentioned. Police say she was arrested there and taken into custody. So a little lesson for you. Uh, If you are going to steal a cab, throw a little decoy location out there. You writing that down, Ben? Yeah. I appreciate you taking notes. Okay, continue. It's a nice chalkboard. That's all I have. Yeah, well. Uh, Here's another one. If you happen to have a bat, holy bat, uh, in Tallahassee, one of Florida's top regulators is being ordered to stay away from his office because of 10 pounds of bat guano. 10 pounds of bat guano excrement has been discovered above his desk. Investigators say they found the bat feces uh, this week in an area right above the ceiling of Ken Lawson's office. <laughs> Lawson uh, is secretary of the Department of Business and Professional Regulation, and they told him he can't go in there until they've removed it. Hmm, thank you. Great advice. Uh, also, our hero of the day, as you know, we like to have a hero story. Last Friday, here's the story. It was a normal mommy-daughter day for Tracy Anderwald and her five-year-old daughter, Allison. The two were playing Marco Polo in the backyard pool in Portland, Texas. But the next thing Anderwald knew, she was waking up in a nearby hospital without a clue as to how she got there. Uh, home surveillance footage on YouTube um, and the shy voice of little Alice and her daughter tell the story of a close call. Anderwald had suffered a seizure in four feet of water. And after a few minutes lying motionless on the bottom of the pool, Allison knew it had to, uh, she had to get her mom out of the pool. So Allison, this uh, little girl, went over, grabbed her mom, dragged her to the other end of the pool as a five-year-old and rolled her body up uh, into the shallow end, saving her mom's life, folks. Doctors explained that uh, if she had been underwater any longer, she probably wouldn't be with us right now. And so, uh, Allison, you are the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. Allison Underwald, five-year-old girl, saving her mom's life. Folks, that's all we need sometimes. It's just somebody to get us out of the deep end and uh, get us up towards shallow where we can survive and exist. Let's go out and do that for others. Again, we can't do the show without you. We'll be back again tomorrow. More ideas, more tools, 9 to noon Eastern time right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Or look us up on iTunes or tune in or on the BYU radio app for iOS or Android. Until tomorrow, take care of each other, watch each other's backs, and uh, make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow.